0: We are live with a new, new, completely unnecessary podcast. They ever not new? (laughs) They usually are. For Wednesday, uh, March 19th, 2014, alongside uh, my compadre, Ian Ferguson. Howdy. My name is Pat Contry. We got a fun-filled and fact-filled adventure tonight for you. I don't know about fact-filled, but it's going to be a fun podcast. We're covering lots of stuff. Uh, Walmart getting into the used video game market. Koji Igar- Igarashi leaving Konami. Uh, we're going to talk about video game collecting burnout. We'll be doing a little mini review uh, talk about the iPhone slash droid game Calculords by Sean Baby. Uh, latest WWE developments and your Q&A and maybe a couple other topics. And also we're going to be talking about auction psychology in regards to a recent uh, state events auction that just ended today. So Ian, how's everything going on your in your neck of the woods? Good. We actually started planning things that would happen
1: uh, for for uh, the wedding back in Buffalo. Oh, cool. I have to split it up into two,
0: you know two separate you're gonna, things. You're gonna split the wedding like this podcast is split. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. So can, why don't you just do it over Skype? You can. You can. Do oh the- yeah, that'll or be. Or you stream it. You stream the wedding. will do the marathon. That'll be a good
1: fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but I think we're gonna rent out a whole trail of cabins, and all my family and friends are just gonna drink and hang out in the woods for a night. Uh, that would be Buffalo. So that's pretty cool. Oh, very cool. And I have music gear coming my way on Friday, which means I'm a giddy guy, and getting to Friday night is going to be extremely hard to do. Um, But other than that, you know, work, reading, watching old wrestling,
0: WWE Network, you're just not stopping with that
1: no i mean i'll put it it makes great background noise like I'll, I'll i'll turn on something that i don't really want to watch and then you know i'll be writing or i'll read or something like that and i'll you know look up and watch someone you know pull off a sloppy suplex and you know go back to what i was doing
0: <laughs> what's a sloppy suplex uh, that one like... that looks like shit one that doesn't ever get vertical just kind of wobbles the legs right and yeah comes... yeah you got to help them out you definitely got to help them out um what's been going on with me I promised it from the last podcast I got out before this one a new uh, Pat the NES punk episode Random Famicom fun. woo I'm excited you're you're so excited about that. I'll watch it maybe next year yeah. um, it's a semi dedication to Justin because I look at Famicom games I have that i have never really honestly never played before that before uh, uh, before doing them for the review. I had about seven or eight I got them back in 2005. Back when the Meadowlands Flea Market, New Jersey was was worth a damn, and you can still, it was still that nice sweet spot right before it jumped off where you can find, like, I remember probably during that time period, 2005, 2004, you can get, like, 30 NES games for, like, 20 bucks. Yeah. People are giving away... And so, I, I, at that point, I probably had three 300 games, 400 games, so I was starting to get some doubles, but for that deal, you had to do it. Sure. Because, you know what I mean? And I still didn't know what games I didn't have, so I would still come home and have the games I already had. You know? I, th- I think, I just from looking at the graphic,
1: uh, I think one of the games you probably cover, which I find is humorous, is uh, the Goemon game, the first Goemon game on the Famicom, which is funny because... I've owned a copy of that, and I think really? anyone who's ever owned Famicom games that I know has owned a copy of was, that. Was it really I, common? Is that why? I, I, yeah, I'm sure it must have been. I feel like it's the uh, oh, um, it's, like, it's like the Keith Courage of Famicom games. I swear <laughs> to God, everyone has one in their collection somewhere. It's, 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 it's the Phantom
0: comes alive of, of Famicom. Yeah, right. Exactly <laughs> Famicom games. So, yeah, so I mean, I still got to reskin the website. Uh, lots of good uh, content on the effect.com by the way. Lots of good uh, videos and articles there. Um, so, anyway, yeah. Uh, I booked a trip back to New Jersey. I'm going to go back to Jersey next month. That'll be fun. Uh, see my sister. See my friend AJ. If you've never seen AJ, or if you've seen AJ, AJ's been in my videos before. He likes Side Pocket. AJ loves Side Pocket. So the funny thing about AJ is that whenever you bring Nintendo up, it's almost like a joke that he knows it is. If you bring Nintendo up at all, he'll always go, yeah, remember that game Side Pocket? Even though he has said it 20 times before. So much so that Ian knows about the inside joke. And I still can't tell if he's just being a dick about it or he actually really loves Side Pocket that much to always bring it up. I feel like I pro- I, I propel that joke. Because anytime I see something Side
1: Pocket, I think of AJ or I mentioned to you. Yeah. you know, Does AJ need this box copy of Side Pocket? Yeah, and he
0: even donated it for us to play it during the last NES yeah. uh, Marathon. Uh, speaking of NES Marathon, we talked about it. It's probably going to be September. Probably we're looking at late September now. That's that's kind of where probably. we're probably looking at like the twenty eighth or twenty seventh or something. So still a little more time before the wedding, so you're not gonna be totally panicking. So um, so let let's dig into a, a pretty big topic that you know one one of the heralded members of the Konami team that worked on uh, the Castlevania series.
1: So yeah, Koji Garashi left uh, left Konami. Um, And basically at the same time went and did a GDC talk at the Game Developers Conference talk about, you know, uh, types of games he likes to make. And um, it's, I I don't see it as sad. I see it as a very good thing for the Japanese game industry. Uh, We kind of talked about it. You know, prior where people said, you know, uh, you know, what what could the Japanese game industry do to bounce back? And mm. the problem is, is a lot like the U.S. game industry. All we're seeing are rehashes. And uh, some people misinterpreted what I was saying as being, you know, simple, you know, new ideas. It's not really new ideas. I'm not suggesting that people pull new ideas out of the thin air. You know, they need to go back to p- developers need to go back to doing what they're comfortable doing. Koji Garashi got stuck for t- now. Koji Garashi is the guy who he didn't create Castlevania, but he very much. Popularized it in the '90s, uh, the, the Metroidvania style, the open like the exploratory, exploratory story, the one the style, ones,
0: like the ones in the DS,
1: the the, the ones on the Game Boy Advance, uh, Symphony of the Night, um, yeah, the DS ones, exactly, and uh, you know he gets stuck for two years making mobile games. And he can't do it. And why can't he do it? Because it's just not what he knows. It's not what he wants to do. So he keeps trying, and they keep canceling. So finally, he
0: says, "You know what? I'm done. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna branch out on my own and do and do what I want." You, you think a company like like Konami would recognize the talent they have in their employees that worked on one of their biggest franchises? But... Might have. I
1: mean, Konami I mean... is no better than Capcom or any of the other big guys. Uh, Square Enix out there. Who are the the disconnect between what they want and what they think the fans want is just it's it's massive. So this is another one of those big names like Kaiji Nafune, uh, the guy who created you know Mega Man. Um, another one of those guys who's gonna go out, he's gonna start his own uh, you know his his own startup, and he's gonna make what he wants, and it's sure. gonna make the fans happy. And it's probably if 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 the mighty number nine Kickstarter was any indication, yeah. it's gonna make uh, Koji Garashi <laughs> money hand over. <laughs> Over fucking fist. I mean, he's he's not going to have any problems. And you know, people were already uh, um, people were already coming up with like names hilarious, hilarious names. You know, for you know, um,
0: Castlemania was yeah one yeah that I, I really liked. You know, it's gonna be like Castlemania, a guy with the whip. That's not. It's gonna be like Simon Belton or something instead of Simon Belmont. But what I think is sort of telling is to hear um, him talk
1: about his leave. You know, there wasn't a lot of animosity from other people on the same level as him. People who worked with him, everyone understands, everyone gets it. I think mm-hmm. the the corporate structure of of Japanese game development is in very real danger. And uh, you know, the whole time they're making these Shadows of the Damned games, you know. Everyone keeps saying, we want a traditional Castlevania, and Konami won't let them make it. So what happens? Well, their games come out, they get bad reviews, they don't sell very well, and the person who could save them, they've already scared off. They've left. So these companies really have to start thinking about how they're doing business here, because they're going to
0: lose all the creative talent they have. And and, and plus the veterans that were there that know what makes a successful game or franchise, and maybe they can help. You know, you have a lot of people getting, to, getting into the industry, and maybe it'd be helpful to have a guy that's been there for three console generations. You know what I mean? Right. To, to sort of mentor. And now those guys are gone. Yeah, one, you... one major player from Capcom, one major player from Konami. The biggest franchises of each, arguably. Well, I don't know yeah. the
1: exact staff, but, you know, that was always the joke of Final Fantasy. Is People are like, well, why is Final Fantasy, you know, not doing great these days? Why is it garbage? You know, why is it different? And it's because, well... Final Fantasy is just a name. Anyone that this the current te- you know people I think tend to think of these things as you know books written by authors. You know the team never changes. The no, team is constantly changing, yeah. and anyone who is involved with the Final Fantasies that most people love and remember aren't there. It, so it's it's not just that their hands aren't in it, but unfortunately, like you had mentioned, um, there's no guiding forces. There's no one to learn the ropes from. You know, so basically, like here's Final Fantasy. Here's a bunch of assets you have to shove in there: Moogles, Chocobos, you know that sort of thing. Make a game, and they don't know what to
0: do with it. So how did how do these big companies do? They get startled by this. How do they? How should they respond? Should they? You know what I mean? Like how can they? I guess foster a culture where they want to keep these guys there and productive, and, and and creatively fresh, so they're not working on mobile games that. They should guys that have been working in the industry for twenty years should not be working on a mobile game. Well, you no. Know.
1: a lot of the a lot of Japanese game development is mobile focused, but it's all mostly crap. I mean, you can look at the new Dragon, uh, the new um, uh, Breath of Fire that's coming out that's mobile with in app purchases. Uh, you can look at the new Mana game that's coming out that's going to be mobile with in app purchases. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes a lot of money over there, but it's not what a lot of people actually want to play. I don't know what can be done. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on a uh, you know Japanese business culture, but we all know that it's slow to change and it's sure. very uptight. So it's going to take, I think, a few more of these guys leaving, and it's probably going to take a big giant toppling like Konami or Capcom to, or Square to either to maybe not go under, but to actually be humbled yeah. to the fact that they're really in bad shape. Right. Exactly. And I you know I don't know when that would happen. I, I sadly I feel like we're still a pretty long ways off from that. You think so? But I you know. It's gonna take something like that, I think, to, for to, for a, a big change
0: to happen. Well, Konami's still on my shit list because they bought out the Hudson Soft properties like three years ago, four years ago, and still haven't done anything with them. Well, they, no, like, they canceled everything that was happening with them. And they didn't do anything after that. I anyway, know that's a whole other issue, but yeah. anyway. it's a
1: whole other ball of wax. <laughs> so, anyways, it, you know, it, it's I, I don't look at it as a shame. I look at it as a good thing. I, I hope only good stuff comes yeah. from it. He even specifically said. Uh, I'm like a lot of startup guys who leave in search Excuse me. He doesn't want to go directly for PC. He wants to make these games for consoles. He wants to give console gamers the games that they want. So, you know, we get enough of these guys making enough money and we start seeing these things on modern systems. I'm expecting we'll see them on portables
0: more than anything. Uh, That's cause for celebration. Well, Here's his, his statement. I've decided to break out on my own to have the freedom to make the kind of games I really want to make. The same kind I think... Fans of my past games won as well. Leaving Konami was a big decision, and not one I took lightly. I spent my entire career there, made many friends, and had a lot of great opportunities. But I hope all the gamers and fans who have supported me in the past will join me in being excited about one, what comes next. Wish me luck. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got a game. Yeah, the
1: first thing he's going to do is make Castlevania. I mean, Castlevania. Or, or, or whatever it's called. I, know. But, I mean, it's that's funny. exactly what he's doing. And, that, and that's great. I can't wait. That's going to be...
0: Um, yeah, and obviously, I think the copyright rules are a little bit looser in Japan that you can get away with it a little bit easier. That's sure. why Mighty Number no. Nine. I'm sure it'll hasn't be yeah down yet.
1: It'll have a different name and a different main character, but, but it'll, it'll be, be
0: gothic toned.
1: You know, yeah. just like Mighty Number no. Nine is robot based with robot masters. Yeah, it's going to be Castlevania,
0: and you know, Bion- it's it's going to be the same. So that's good. Well, um, we wish him luck, Koji Igarashi. You know, look forward to your Kickstarter next month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: So, I don't know what would be the, the next best thing to jump into, but since it's just uh, it's at the top of our list, we might as well cover it. Um, it's been reported that Walmart is going to start buying and selling used games. Yeah. Um, this, I think, just to get it out there, especially because there's been some closures in our area. Uh, this, this there's is been bet, some ga- GameStop closures. Yeah, there's been some GameStop closures in our area. One close uh, this, this is, uh, I don't... It, Look, it didn't work for Best Buy, but Walmart has way more money behind it. This could be very bad for
0: GameStop. Oh, yes.
1: Why? Because they're, 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 here's what happens when, when, when you work in a buy-sell GameStop, trade business.
0: Okay, GameStop should be shitting their pants.
1: Small places like us, Luna Video Games, can give more and charge less because we have less overhead. So our profit margin, even if it looks different on paper, is actually bigger. Okay, mm. And then something like Walmart... They just have all the money in the freaking world to throw at this stuff. So, even if it's a, a, a small loss for them, if it's getting new customers into their store exactly. for new reasons, then it's going to make them more money well, long run. GameStop is in this horrible, nebulous
0: middle area. Let's back up and, and say what sure. exactly they're doing. Um, so, it, it's going to be, looks like, newer systems. Um, they're going to be using an intermediary... Called CE Exchange, which deals with uh, trade-ins of electronic products and like cell phone stuff. It's just
1: that's just yeah. from what I understand. That's just for refurbishing. That's
0: that's something that. But it sounds like they probably have a relationship with them already because okay. they already because they already accept used electronics for credit. I didn't know that. Um, so I think they're probably just gonna beef up on that. Yeah, the trade-in plan. This is from New York Times. The trade-in plan is an expansion of a program through which Walmart gives customers credits for used tablets and smartphones oh, that they can apply to new devices. The retailer is betting that it can stimulate sales of new items by giving people a new currency to the form of their old purchase. So this is where GameStop's in deep trouble. Because a Walmart can already charge less for games and most of their merchandise because they have such a huge volume. Yeah. So you like you said, they can they can they have no problem taking a loss on trade-ins because people are going to be coming in the store to buy the games new from them in exchange. It's like well they're taking away they're taking away a double market because they're taking away games Uh, from GameStop that are are going to be put on the the shelves, that are no longer going to be put on the shelves and plus they're getting those new game sales back that GameStop's not going to be getting. Well, and the other thing is, and this
1: is the big thing, and and, and this is where it could have, when Best Buy started doing it, it could have been dangerous, but Best Buy is just too much trouble. Best Buy's running like crap and it's in trouble, but this is the big thing. At Walmart, you can take your games in, trade them in for credit, and you don't have to use them on video games. If you want a new TV trade in all the old games you're playing and put them towards a the new TV. Sure. At GameStop you can only trade in for whatever is in that store. So you're feeling limited. So it's one of those things where you know people who trade in games and then they go, "Well, I guess I'll take credit cuz it's the better deal." And they look around, and they you know, kind to find something they want. They're more likely to possibly go to a place like Walmart where Shit, you could use it on toiletries, you know? I mean, yeah, I, I don't like Walmart, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying that to, to Joe average, well, taking your games to a place where you can use the credit for groceries and televisions and clothing as opposed to just more games
0: is well, it's a it, it sort of uh, I mean, people people knock Walmart because they put smaller stores out of business. If you look on the capitalistic side, they also employ a huge amount of people, so it's like. We, got we put mom-pops out of business, like GameStop put lots of mom-pops out of business, which, again, well, I'm not going to shed a tear if GameStop goes under. So they put most of the mom pop stores out of business, and they have some weird practice themselves. But Walmart's now one-stop shopping. Uh, and Target's sort of the same way, too, but Target's a smaller, smaller degree. But Walmart now, you can go to Walmart, buy your electronics, buy your do all your food shopping. You can go see doctors. A lot of like a lot, a lot of like these like like even like uh, nurse practitioners are going to be in Walmart in the future. You can go get a medical checkup and get your eyes checked up. It's literally going to be like your one stop for everything. And why isn't this not a national uh, a, a natural progression? Used game sales. Why not? G- game sales are huge. Why wouldn't Walmart do this? Yeah, I find, I find the Walmart entity
1: terrifying, but I mean, it makes it, within the world of Walmart, it makes perfect sense for them to start taking used games and selling used games.
0: Yeah. And like I said, it's going to be the scale. So maybe in the future, then we're, we're not only going to get like the, you know, GameStop exclusive level on the new PS3 game. Maybe you'll have the Walmart. I version. I think there actually has already been that. Well, there you yeah. go. So why not? It's it's all fair. GameStop, all's fair in love and war and capitalism. You know, and like you said, people that even maybe have a mom in the Midwest or wherever else. Um, that never even knew like, this was a, a concept to trade in used games. She's gonna go to Walmart, see big ass signs there. Hey Johnny, your your games from last year, we can trade them in. Yeah. Maybe it never occurred to them to go to a GameStop since they're already at Walmart. Like you said, it's a part of their their journey. So GameStop, if this really blows up, game and they get the word out, Walmart GameStops in deep shit. They're gonna be really hurting. Yes. So. um... I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, there's not much. They have, have 3,100 Walmart stores nationwide. The infrastructure's there. It's yeah. not going. It, this is not going to cost them that much money to get up and running. That's the thing. They have the
1: space. They have the locations. They have the money. Um, yeah, it could be real bad.
0: And and plus, they talk about how in video games and, and, and in used games, uh, particularly, the profit margin so extremely high, uh, in general, so that it's a no-brainer for them to get into it, like we said before. Right. And they're not a Best Buy. Best Buy only specializes, for the most part, in electronics electronics and appliances, so they don't get the foot traffic that a Walmart gets. You yeah. go to Walmart. I, I don't have a Walmart nearby that's close up, but a Target, it's like a smaller version of a Walmart, has a lot of the same stuff, so not exactly. There's, it's always packed. Sure. Always packed. So, GameStop, we'll see where you are in like three, four years. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sorry. Right. <laughs> All
1: right working for
0: luna they're mm-hmm. <laughs> just gonna have you guys go to go to the local uh, walmart and work there now if they got into if, now if they got into like retro games that would be that'd be hysterical first off would that be, would be the end of, that would be the total apocalypse yeah. in terms of prices <laughs> Can you imagine that if a big uh, retailer like that got into like nes games or whatever I'd, I'd have well, to. well wasn't it that toys r us was thinking about doing that for a while to some degree, about uh, having trade-ins for old games, and they were, Oh, no. Game- they were, they were taking them in, but then they were giving them up to some nebulous third party. To and yeah, uh, GameStop—I mean, that was always a rumor
1: too. Basically, there have been rumors circulating for years that these companies are going to get back into it, but Toys R Us, realistically, doesn't have the space, and that's what. Anytime someone walked into the Luna and was like, "I hear GameStop's going to be selling retro games," are you guys scared? I go. Where are they going to put them? Have you been in a GameStop recently? They have no space for what they have. Plus, it's, it's a more specialized
0: product. Yeah. There's a lot more. It's not like they. I think we it. actually talked about it on we a We probably did a little bit. bit. I think but it's s- not like or the NES library is fixed, the Genesis library is fixed. And even that's tough because then you have to manage the prices of all that. Yeah. It's not like uh, an inventory uh, at one. Luna video games versus an inventory all across the U.S. of used retro games that are 20-year-old, where the prices, you got to be on top of more, that, that would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. The screw-ups, uh, trying to manage a nationwide system of used game sales, it sounds just horrifying. Well, that's
1: one of the things that I thought about, too. You know, uh, modern games, the prices are fixed, and the way they drop in price is easy to predict. You know, and, and you don't have to really worry about rarity or anything else like that. Um I could see so many GameStops getting hosed on selling something for like
0: 20 yeah. bucks.
1: It, it, like, at least initially 20 bucks that should have gone for a lot more. Or on the opposite or, side they just, they just overcharge.
0: They just overcharge on everything to 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 cover their asses. The, the best example I just had uh before I think GameStop bought about was uh in in the mall what was it Software Etc? Software Etc And the other I'm talking like early 2000s when it was still around. It was Badges? No, it was Computer Store Egghead. No, even a little bit later than that, where it was like, Software Accenture was still around in this other store, uh, which could be still around, that they, they had some used games with, like, a sticker on them, but they would be charging whatever. Like you said, they'd be charging, like, five ninety nine for Super Mario Duck Hunt. And this is, like, 12 years ago. They'd right. be charging that much. Or they, they really don't know what the price of the game's at. Yeah. They're just slapping almost an arbitrary polite price on them, and there you go. We're just selling it just to have some sort of inventory, you know. So... GameStop. Uh, if this really comes to fruition, this could be your death knell. You already closed a bunch of stores, GameStop. You might be closing a lot more. You'd be joining Radio Shack and closing up a bunch. All know. right,
1: we're repeating ourselves. Let's move on.
0: Hey, you, they, hey they, they screwed up my Funko Land experience. I don't care what happens to them. <laughs> so, uh, we can we can stay on the topic of uh of used games. There was a recent uh, Steam Events auction that closed just today. Um, it was for a loose uh, Steam Events cart only with a case a repro case no it doesn't add anything no it doesn't it went for fifty six hundred dollars um, that that's kind of surprising for a couple of reasons uh, well events has been on the rise the past I say three years where it was like a thousand dollar game then saw it went to two thousand dollars and three so the, I think the last few went for like three grand or a little bit below three grand um, this was a charity auction it said for charity I'm not sure if that was set up with within the auction itself but I'm more focusing on the final price and the amount of bids going on on this. Uh, now, standards don't come up for auction. The NTSC, you know, US North American versions don't come up for auction too often. Maybe like a couple times a year, um, three times. So there's a lot of weird-looking bids going on. There's a lot of bids from people. This one person has a feedback of one. That's always a good sign for a high price item. Bid. It's
1: from 800, three thousand eight hundred to three thousand nine hundred to. 4000 to 4100 to 4201.
0: Yeah, and there's also a person with a with a 5 and they're bidding the last literally minutes of the auction. So, it's a little hard to track how the bids is. obviously in eBay's automatic bidding based upon a second place sort of thing where the second place person will bid up the first one mm-hmm. the invisible ceiling of the first place bidder. So, shill bidding it probably occurs here. It occurs more than people think. Uh but people have to realize about shill bidding is that it doesn't necessarily always mean that the shill bidding um, won the auction price. The fact that it exists anywhere in between is bad. And this is why. And this is something that's never brought up, even by people in, in the industry. Uh, there's something called uh, it's called auction psychology. Uh, what what that means is this. When you get into an auction, and I've been in live auctions at, at um, arcade auctions, I've seen it for myself. Besides eBay auctions, I've, I've, I've probably done 2,000 transactions on eBay in the 50, I've been on eBay since 98. So that's like 16 years. Oh my God. When you get into an auction, and this is what some articles you look it up, and they've done they've done research on this. There's, there's studies on this. Um, there's a possessive quality to an auction that when you are in the auction and when you are in the lead, you feel like that item, that you own that item. It is yours. So then what happens is when you get outbid, inside, even subconsciously, your pride takes a hit. Your Your sense of... Possession takes a hit. You then want to then win that item because you already feel it's yours. It's also a feeling that you want, you could be shamed by not winning it, especially back in the day before eBay started um, masking somewhat the names of the people. A few years back, three four years ago, you could see you could time. see who it was. So there's a lot of these factors going into an, an open eBay auction. It's not, it's not purely, well, how much is the person willing to spend with it? That's what, that's part of it. But when there's still bidding involved, when you have an artificial person coming in and screwing with people, that's negative because you're inflating the price and you, and people will argue, well, the person didn't really want to spend that much. They wouldn't have bid it if they didn't want to spend. No,
1: no. because it's an outside psychological factor is what it can be. Even if that's not what it's intended for, that, that that's what happens. It affects the other, per the other people who are seriously yes. bidding psychologically because, I think to put it more simply, and, and, and everything you said is right, but when you look at auction psychology, what it kind of boils down to is it's the competitive nature of humans. That's true. You are trying to win it. So I I don't even see it so much as uh, necessarily... I mean, yes, it is. They have their mindset on it, and it, it's, it's like watching a game of hockey or I think a game of basketball is more likely because you constantly see them score, and then you've got to score, and you keep competing because you both see it as yours, which... It's funny, people think that auctions are going to always be a true um, indicator of value, but they, they're not. If you've got two particularly hot-headed people in an auction who really want an item, it's not unlikely to see that item go for more than, say, a buy-it-now value, mm-hmm. or for more than what it's actually valued at. I see it happen all the time when I'm looking at games. Like, You, you can go online and you can see people buy games like day of, of release, and they end up paying sixty-seven, seventy-two dollars for a game that costs sixty. Why? Because they, because they got involved in a, in a, in a bidding war. Sure.
0: And, and the psychology of it all took over. Uh, this is from MindHacks.com, and this was written from a guy who wrote about this on the BBC website about auction psychology. Um, persuasive powers of auctions. I'm going to be reading, and this this author's name is, is his name on the article? I don't see his name on the article, but this is what he wrote. Um, Another psychological bias that operates in auctions is the endowment effect, where we tend to overvalue things we already possess. I see this with collectors all the time. By encouraging us to connect the bid, our money, with the sale item, bidding on items lets us fantasize about owning them, stimulating a kind of endowment effect. This is why the auction catalog, or the item picture and description on a website, is so important. This forms part of the psychological journey the seller wants you to go on to imagine owning this item in advance, so you'll place a higher value on it, and so and so may pay more to make imagination reality. So all this is boiled in, but again, like shield bidding adds to that effect. And one final note about a Princeton study that was conducted in regards to shield bidding. This where it comes into play. Uh, their experiments asked volunteers to play. Uh, online auctions with different rules. Some of these auctions had rules that encourage overbidding, like typical open auctions, which most of us are familiar with, and some had rules that encourage rational behavior, like the eBay structure. With enough guidance from the auction rules, the bidders didn't end up paying much more than they originally thought was reasonable, but only if they thought they were bidding against a computer program. As soon as the volunteers thought that they were bidding against other live hu- humans, they found it impossible to bid rationally, whatever the auction rules. So again, the competitive nature, um, the psychological effect, not wanting to be shamed uh, against losing to someone else. Shill bidding plays into that enormously.
1: Well, right, because it's 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 a squirt of lighter fluid onto a fire. So I mean, if this yes. is going to happen naturally without shill bidding, you insert a couple of shill bids in there to get keep the price basically to stoke the fires. You're adding another log to it. You're just going to keep this going higher and higher. Now people are going to drop off, but you're still going to find people who are attached to it who are going
0: to go all the way to the top and end up paying
1: more than they should for the item.
0: So that's what that's what it comes down to. So. Uh, even if a shield bidder doesn't win the auction, it still has a negative effect by overinflating the value. It goes on. It's not documented. Uh, it obviously would not be reflected in any sort of price charting website or any app that charts. That's not in there because again, that's a nebulous sort of uh, data that's in the middle somewhere. Like, okay, maybe it bumped the price up from 50 to 75 and ended up at 80. You know, you're not going to know who that second or third place uh, bidder was. And that's not going to show up. So. Uh, to people out there that that you know, there's even people that you know sort of follow the prices. Just keep that always in mind when when these things are valued. That plays an effect. And I'm, I'm not saying it can never be avoided between natural humans, as that Princeton study shows. But the fact that the shield bidding helps overinflate the prices, that's why it should be cracked down on more. But unfortunately, it's tough to do that. I'm not sure, sure if that means you have to place a rule on eBay that for high priced items you have to have a minimum number of feedback, which would be nice or there are some auctions that for high price items I do you do have to be pre 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 approved. I was going to say I know in the so, past they did that if they if, if they don't
1: do it now. That's, up, that's, to the, okay. that's up to the okay. that's up to the to the
0: person selling it. So for those people, you know, that if they're running a true auction, they're being fair. That's great because shell bidding can exist in, you know, real life uh, to to some extent because if you get stuck with the item, you know, in person, you got to pay for it. It's legally, you know, binding. You know, in person a lot more than on eBay where you can worm your way out of it. So there you have it. We've all been a victim of shill bidding, whether or not we probably even realize it when it comes to retro games. And just you know, just kind of talk about it. I don't think it gets, the issue gets raised enough, and it's fascinating. I, I love the psychology of stuff like this. Sure. And I would like to talk about the hard driving Proto just because I played it. Well, you want to talk about that real quick?
1: Yeah. So actually, um, it's been out for a while now. Uh, I believe it was Frank Sifaldi who got the prototype and released it. I love Frank Sifaldi. Yeah. You does, know why? He does all
0: that. I met him at Port Retro, retro Gaming Expo. We did we did the Retro Game Roadshow. We we, we kind of had to entertain the crowd for ten minutes while um, Chris Kohler was doing something. That was a little bit late, and he's great guy, down to earth. And I love these guys that have these prototypes, uh, guys like him, Steve Lin. They spend a lot of money on this and then release them. Yeah, they don't hold them yeah, hostage for the, for the good of for the good of the people. They don't hold who them hostage them like like some assholes that'll just hold the game hostage and demand a, literally like a ransom to have it released to protect my investment. You know, even though you don't own that fucking prototype. Right. You own the physical so, copy. You don't own it. So, anyway. It said, anyway, so these guys put these so, out there. So, yeah. So, he he got a hold
1: of the hard drive and prototype and put it out on the NES. Uh, put and uh, This put was Redis an Atari,
0: Atari arcade game.
1: Uh, yep. Uh, it would have been a Tengen cart. And uh, my buddy, uh, Lincoln, actually, put the... Finally, he said the, the documentation that was released with it when trying to put it on a Tengen cart was wrong. So... Him and some people figured out the right way to get it on there, and he, you know, put it on a Tengen cart and brought it over to my house. What the other night.
0: The, the documentation was wrong?
1: I'm um, like, what you had to, like, I don't know how to do it, like but the, the gift the, switches the, the, or the, whatever? The pinouts, et cetera. Okay. What you had to solder to make a a, a, a prototype reproduction. So, anyways, after two tries, he, he gets it, and he brings it over, and we start playing it, and Hard drive is one of those games that I always liked in the arcade. Um, the not because drive-in. it was Necessarily good, it or was, I was good at it. It, it was just—it was it realistic. Was, it
0: was neat. Well, no, it was just neat. It was cool. Wasn't it somewhat realistic though? It was somewhat more than usual.
1: Somewhat, but you know, I'm thinking the, of
0: test drive. Yeah, maybe. well, they're, they're kind of
1: the same game. Okay. Um. So hard driving, saw so the loop and the jump and the early, yeah. early polygonal it, graphics. It's
0: it, for 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 people out there if you're not looking up what, what th- think of a flight simulator, but on the ground. Karma. So. <laughs> Anyways, he brings
1: it over, we pop it in, and the the prototype is actually uh, incredibly complete. There's some bugs for sure, but you can pick between the speed course or the stunt course. Um, You can pick between difficulty levels, manual and auto. And we played it for way longer. The collision detection is funny. If you bump into one car, you know, you get a fracture on your windshield and you're done. But, um, you know, after grappling with a few rounds of it, him and I got got pretty decent at it. And it was really cool to (laughs) see the Nintendo do things like the the loop to loop or the jump or the so the, like true 3D like just the, about the dip yeah and what it was is uh, according to i believe uh, my friend who made the cart said oh, that here's he a read.
0: Loop on my on my screen is coming up go on so <laughs>
1: wow. um, what happens is is basically nintendo kind of tricks it when you enter certain areas it's not really polygons you're seeing you're seeing like an animation oh. but you can still control so like when we were talking about it like when you hit the jump it's very obvious that when you hit the top of the jump you're seeing a few frames of animation, right? And we thought maybe the same thing with the the loop to loop, but you can actually drive off the loop. Now your car doesn't land like it would in the arcade. You just immediately get like a fractured screen. Sure. Who knows if they would have tried to do more with that? They probably couldn't have. But uh, just a really impressive well, prototype. And like I said, it's not it's not immediately accessible. But once you play a couple rounds, you, you get the
0: hang of it. It's hard to drive at first? Yeah, I, I would just sh- urge people it, it, to check it out. Is there manual and auto sh- shifting? Yeah,
1: options? and I found auto to work the best, and on turns you just uh, pump between brake and gas, and, you know, it gets you around pretty cool. All the cars always come at you in the left lane okay. in the prototype,
0: so they're fairly easy to avoid. It's just two races, basically, and that's it? You're not even competing against people? You're just going? Just
1: like, it, it's all time attack. It's just like the arcade. You know, you got a, a course that's built for speed, and you got so, one that's stunts.
0: Yeah, I can kind of see how this never came out, because that seems like a pretty... I mean, even technologically it's cool, but it's not a whole lot to do then, so it's just two racetracks, right?
1: Yeah, but it was, it was, it it's was just interesting. To see. So, you know, um, just kind of a random topic, but I was amazed by how long we played it, because uh, I think we probably played it for about an hour and 15 minutes, just really? seeing who could get the best time. Is the time. sound effects
0: cool for the driving? No, the sound effects are pretty freaking awful, actually. So you can download this ROM then, and uh, Cool. May I download and put it on the power pack for the next marathon? Yeah, so check that. it out. It's pretty fun. We we there started to go. get some pretty good times. Look it up, by the look end it of it. up on uh, on YouTube. That you can search for it. There's some footage. For on For all
1: there. I know, he uh, it might actually be on Lost Levels. Okay. Well, yeah. It might article. be. I mean, he released it, so it might be available on Lost Levels. Good for Frank Safaldi. my pal Frank. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so
0: that was cool. Um, by the topic way, that's been. Oh, go for it. I was gonna say, by, by the way, um. If you want to do Q and A, Q&A, see you podcast hashtag. I'm going to put that out because we're about halfway through the show. So something that I've wanted to
1: talk about lately, and I I don't know where to start. I don't even know how much of a topic it is, but I'm experiencing some burnout, and I don't even know if it's burnout. The burnout already happened. I'm referring to collecting burnout game collecting game burnout. collecting burnout, and uh, it's it's not with all systems. You know, I think. You know, I kind of want this to be a more open discussion. Hopefully, people will comment in the uh, in the comments section or take it to Twitter. But you know, you know, have you ever just found yourself at at the end of your interest with a system? No. Or, or at the end of owning. Let me say, not 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 playing, but owning things for the system because that's what's happening to me with Nintendo. I started collecting Nintendo, bought a ton of it. Right. When, when it, what, what year did you start? Ninety-eight. Collecting? So. About the time I started to start buying stuff. I had, you know, my games from being a kid, but 97, I would say probably 97 was when I started buying games from my friends in high school, and then, you know, 98 was when I started buying a lot. And, you know, young kid, tons of money. Not tons, but, like, I worked my, I I had my own job and I had no rent, That's what I mean. So, So all all of my income was disposable. income, which is where collecting comes from. All of my income was disposable. I just started buying everything because I wanted this full set. And I created this monster, and I I, I pared it down many years ago, about three, four years ago, to about 100 games. What was it at its peak? 425. That's a good collection. Or 400. And you got most of that without even eBay, right? None of it was eBay. That's commendable. None of it was eBay. Um... Now I'm thinking. Yeah, none of it, none of it was eBay. Um a couple of them were trades online with people, but none of it was eBay purchased. It was pretty much all flea market finds. So nice. you know, I pared it all down and I was like, you know, these are the games I want to hold, but I just find my here's the thing, I find my love of going back and playing old games growing a lot more. I find my attachment to the physical object less. Less. Which is strange because it's and this is why I'm what I'm so confused about. It's not that way with my PC Engine collection, maybe because I've curated my PC Engine collection, maybe because I know that anything I walk up to on my PC Engine is something I'm going to want to play. I haven't lost any interest in my records. Records are things that I've been collecting longer than NES games or anything else. I love my records, but is it because I curated my record collection more instead of just going out and buying, you know, whatever stacks I could? Versus I think, versus
0: Nintendo, where you just got everything willy nilly.
1: Right, and even when I when I paired it down, I, it still just didn't look right or perfect to me. And I've gotten to the point, and, and here's what it's funny because I mentioned I, I bought some new music equipment this week. Yeah. Um, I my friend Lincoln who brought over the uh, who brought over the hard drive and cartridge. You know, um, I told him I was thinking about you know really getting rid of more of my Nintendo stuff, and if he wanted to look at any of it, he could. Mm-hmm. And he's going through, and he's like, "Got yeah, some cool, cool stuff in here still." And he goes, uh, oh, Power Blade 2. He's like, "That's about two hundred bucks." I'm like, "Yeah, well, the label condition's not great." He's like, "You can still get one seventy five for it." And I was thinking, well, there was one other piece of music gear I wanted, and I was like, "What else do I have in there that's worth anything?" And he picked out like two other games, and I was just like, I immediately found my attachment to them to be. Non existent. I'm like, <laughs> the monetary value is like, you know what's funny. Well, here's the deal. I I could have made up that monetary value with something like my Rondo of Blood, but I wouldn't you part would with my Rondo my of hair. Blood. You know? So it's odd, and I just I wonder if anyone else has ever found themselves at an end with a system. What am I gonna do? You know, what? I'm probably gonna get a power pack or an ever drive if they ever do an NES one or a Famicom Ever drive. And I'm gonna still play and enjoy the games because these are the games I enjoy. I'm still gonna work on my PC oh. engine collection, but I think
0: I've just hit the end of the road with Nintendo, and I, I can't. Is it because no? Okay, you didn't really explain why though. Is it because that the monetary value got to the place where you can say, "Screw it, it's not worth having anymore." No,
1: and, but... or is it the fact
0: that you're saying I'm not playing them? Plus the the monetary. It, it's the riser? I'm not
1: I'm not using the cartridges anymore. It could be part of my home. But setup. is that
0: just Nintendo though, or what if you're not using a Turbo Graphics game?
1: I, I, use my, you... I use my I use my I use my Turbo Graphics at least a couple times a month, if not a couple times. a but week. But you don't
0: play Nintendo anymore.
1: I do. But for whatever reason, because maybe it's because of the location of where I keep my games. Maybe it's because of my home setup. I'll fire them up on my computer. I, I went back to using emulators, which was something I never <gasps> did. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> I don't want to keep doing that. Like, I'd like to get a power but, pack or something, but I just, I don't know what it was. Oh, it, it, but dope. it's not it's not money. I don't want it to come across as greedy. Like, when he was like, oh, you can get 175 for that, I'm like, well... Effort, you know. I, you know, this is music equipment, but this, the other stuff that I'm looking to get rid of, you know, I've got a lot of stuff with like faded top labels or top labels that are non-existent from getting them from you know flea markets. I'll probably bundle them up and sell them as a, you know, a, a player's pack of you know good stuff. I've got Shadow the Ninja, great game. You know, it goes for a little the, bit. The label's not the best. Label's not the best. You know, I'll put them together. It's just, it's not the money. It's the space. Or even the magfest. <laughs> yeah, it's not the money. It's the it's the space. It's the it's the fact that, like I said, it's not money, but. What I shows? do get, I could put towards something that I care about more, records or, or PC Engine. I don't know. It, it's it's weird and it's kind of sad because but, for years I was known as, in high schools, that guy who collected
0: NES but that, games. But that happens to everyone. But I'm just going to question, though, when you say Burnout, you haven't been actively seeking out NES titles for as long as I've... Pretty much oh, know you? Sure. I should, I should... Besides the rocking cats I got you from from Portland a few years ago, I can't a... think of another new animation you got.
1: Which is one I would keep. And I bought Snoopy's Silly Sports Spectacular after our first marathon because I you... liked it, and I'll keep that too because yeah. it's Snoopy and it's whatever. Um, but yeah, that's another thing I should put. I've been gra- I've been wrestling with this for eight years.
0: Eight years? Eight years. Well, glad, glad you've been, it's been that long, because now the prices are highest than they've ever been. And like so. <laughs> I said, I haven't
1: stopped playing NES games. I've just... Jesus my Christ. attachment to the cartridges...
0: Is, the physical cartridges, you're is, saying. ...is gone Screw away. Screw it. The, but that's almost like... In, I hate to say it, in physical media in general. This could be the last generation that really cares about physical media. A lot. Well, and I, 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 like I said, I, I love physical media. I wouldn't get rid of my records. My PC
1: Engine collection's not going anywhere. I think what it's coming down to is people are going to have to look at their physical media, right? I, I mean, I live in California with my fiance on a basic wage. I only have so much space. We have to start picking and choosing the physical media we want. So. You know, back then you limited your hobbies. Now we can get digital versions of so much of this yeah. that it's like, what do I keep that's physical? What do I keep that's digital? I... When in the end,
0: I still have a controller in my hand and I'm still playing the game anyway. I'm probably going to pare down my Super Nintendo collection. Um, probably my N64 collection. The thing about N64 is it's not. A, I could have probably had a complete library by now. I have yeah. the. I have the hardest to Just find. No game. interest. I have Sculptors Cut. Yeah. After that, it's all downhill, relatively easy. Um, yeah, because even the next most expensive one, like Worms Armageddon, is only like sixty. Sixty. There's, there's hey, did a, you
1: get that one from us, by the way? Yes, I think. Yeah. I did.
0: So maybe, anyway there's like you know whatever three or four games that are like 50 60 dollars after that it's nothing um, so but do, why do I need it though I, I, and you always say about everything I buy but this this is my love though this is a console, console as a kid I didn't have n64 as a kid uh, uh, Super Nintendo I had like eight games and played computer more so why do I have you know I probably have 250 Super Nintendo titles and I have a hundred over 125 you know I, I, over like half the library of, of n64 why? You know, I have I have two hundred and probably twenty Genesis games. Like, I'm never gonna play them. I'm not gonna play them. Yeah, I, I know that. So again, yeah, I can just get the EverDrive for Genesis. I can get the Super Nintendo Power Pack and keep what you uh, love. And sixty four one doesn't exist. I don't think an EverDrive. It does. Does it? Yeah. Now it does. Uh which is I, pretty I, remarkable. No, actually. and I'm running out of room. Uh, I'm running out of room. I, I have some cool, nice box Super Nintendo stuff that takes up a lot. You know, for every Super Nintendo game that's in a box, that's like you know two you know loose games. Right there, at least with the depth that it takes. Oh so, yeah, you're right. I wonder if my job is, a, you know, part of it
1: too because you're always around it. Because Nintendo is super popular, and I'm always around it. And you work at a game store long enough, you make a career out of it, and you just start looking at the place you work at as like this ever rotating collection. Yeah, that's you what know, it is. I mean, it's what it is. You know, and highs just, and lows
0: for different systems. So,
1: I don't know. And. I really enjoyed my time with the Nintendo. I love all that stuff. Like don't, I said. Don't, don't cheer up on no, me. No, I'm not. I, I was trying not to burp. I, I think you're getting... I was trying not to burp. A little verklempt. Um, but that yeah, I've just been around it. I'm going to see it all every day. And maybe that's part of the reason why I don't have burnout on PC Engine and Turbo. Even well,
0: though Turbo's hot right now, I don't see it all the time. I, it's still an exciting frontier this, for me. This is what I'll tell you. Because I thought about if I had to sell off my collection, what am I going to keep? I'm going to keep the games that I'll have an almost impossible time getting back. So if you want to go and sell your... Power Blade 2, go ahead. But if you just want the monetary value, sell 30 other games that are worth the same amount and keep the Power Blade 2. It just didn't matter. It went. To,
1: I mean, it went to a guy That's that all. you
0: and I both know. Oh, you already I, sold it.
1: Yeah, it went to a guy that you well, and I both the, know. Thanks for
0: letting me know about the Wally Bear you sold, by the way. But whatever. Pff,
1: whatever. Lincoln saw it first. I uh, didn't know you were going to sell all your Nintendo games. You never told me. Well, I didn't. I didn't I'm taking my My time. label could be upgraded, damn it. I will probably... <laughs> end up with at least 25 that don't go anywhere out of the 105 or so that i have the battletoads that my grandma got me for sentimental reasons even though i hate that game i'll never get rid of it you know um my ducktales you know i I won't get rid of that there's ones that i'll keep for you know the 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 rocking cats but the majority of it can just go
0: well like i said get a power pack for 160 bucks whatever it is yeah and then you just load the ROMs onto it. I mean, I was lucky when I bought mine. I bought mine used off of, uh, I believe it was Digital Press. I used to buy, trade people were on Digital Press for We're talking like five years ago, six, they were, six years ago. They were awesome because they didn't, they didn't uh, you know, rake you over the coals. I got my Ninja Gaiden Trilogy in the box for probably only like 50 bucks back then or 60 bucks. I don't right. even know what it's worth now. But I got a power pack. It was used. But it had every game already loaded on it. Most of the Famicom games alphabetized and... I was like, all right, cool. I got it. So, yeah, find find a power pack. Yeah, and hey, let's The cool only that, problem with those is that sometimes they're not always available. They have to make more of them. But yeah. it's, it is worth it. You've seen it. We've used it. Is it's it. great.
1: So what I'll probably do is, you know, clear off all that shelf space, you know, use it as a place to put, you know, uh, I'll probably just start displaying my PC Engine collection nicer, you know, so that it's not everything is just squished into piles and corners. Yeah, that I can honestly
0: say. I, I mean, even if I get to a breaking point and sell off, you know, let's just say I keep the 250 hardest to find NES games, knowing that the other uh, 500 I could easily get back within a few months. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to sell off the hardest ones because sure. I would even the amount of space would be smaller. But to me, it's like, okay, these—if I ever got back into it—they're there. That's how. But for stuff like the Turbo set, it's so small in comparison that can all fit in one box. Yeah. You know, that's that can all But that's fit in the box thing. Like
1: the space that my games are currently taking up
0: now, I could like display some of now, those games outwards and it looked Now my box Nintendo games, that's another issue because with, with the exception of that shelf right there of about nine games, every box game I have is a duplicate of a loose cart. Right. So that's different. So if I were getting the mood, like the ones in the garage that are all duplicates of ones loose, I can have no problem selling most of those except for the, like the quirky ones that I like. You know, let's just say I have a boxed... You know, uh, I don't know. Give me an example. I, I think I have Deja Vu in the box. That's a cool one. But a boxed version of Wheel of Fortune, I don't, I don't care right. about that. I'll sell that and get the whatever, the six bucks for it. Or, or, or the boxed, you know, uh, boxed goal I have. You know, you, you, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, but I have the, those out there that are going to be gone. So it's not... For me, it's not going to really burn out, but now it's like my buying has slowed down, believe it or not. You may not believe that, but for yeah don't roll your eyes but i'm buying less on ebay (laughs) not only because there's less to buy i have less space there's less i want yeah because because you get to that point you know you have a decent amount well i hate to, i hate and this will be i think we can
1: maybe leave it off on this so we can be negative on me (laughs) no i'm not i'm not gonna be negative on you i think part of it is you bring up an interesting point i think part of it for me is uh getting older is that part of it too i'm getting older i want less you want less I, I don't I, I, like I don't want as much and, and this is something that's gonna sound weird but because um, I, I mean I, I talk about it I'm bipolar right okay I think a lot of collecting like when I was younger when it was uh, when, when when it was more there like a lot of collecting a lot of the early collecting was you know Manic buying up of this stuff. And as I get older, as these things get more under control, as I take care of myself and things, I just find myself wanting less. The urge to add, add, add. Even my records, which I love, I add like two or three or four or five a month. You know, it's not like I'm buying. You know, I used to go to the flea market every weekend and I wouldn't leave
0: until I found 10 or 15 games that I wanted to add to my collection. Well, we we never spoke about this, but how much of collecting is obsessive compulsive? uh, And OCD uh, people obsessive-compulsive disorder, people that are prone to that or have that, a lot of those people are collectors.
1: I can't, I can't uh, talk for, for everyone, but, I mean, knowing me and my issues, my OCD, my bipolar, I think a lot of my collecting and why I collected for so many things for so long before I put an end to it was obviously
0: part of the mental. Those people that have, uh, you know, the people that own, I don't care if I'm stepping on toes, the people that own 10 Don Collins Juniors in the box, that's OCD. Sorry, it is. Yeah. There's no reason to own 10 box-complete copies of a game that's that's hard to find. Or, yeah. or, or that have like thirty golfs in the box. Sorry, there's no reason for that. Sure. Besides, it's a mental thing. Yeah, you know. Um, so I, I think it is, uh, collecting entra- attracts those type of people in general because it's a need to wanting to keep going with something with collecting. That's really what collecting is. You just keep getting stuff and compiling, and there's really no rhyme or reason. When you really boil it down, there's really no rhyme or reason for me to have all these games. I right. totally understand that. I think that's almost but what happened when I... It's, it... it's this is past nostalgia. I'll be the first. For this. If this was nostalgia, I would have stopped on the games that I had as a kid, which were only about 15, yeah. add up the games I might have rented as a kid, which were maybe 50, 50 games more. I rented, and, just, and then add the games add the games I might have played for my friends were up to maybe 100, and then you stop. I, I, those are the games I played as a kid. I played a hundred different NES games as a kid. It, I didn't play 750 yeah. games
1: as a kid. And mentally, I you think know? I think that's another thing. Like, when I go and I look at my NES collection, even the remnants of it as I'm getting rid of it, I'm like, this is just, I didn't need to do this. <laughs> this is, this is yeah. just a memory of a time. Like, yeah. what was that, you know? And then, and then I think that's also probably why I'm so positive about my record collection and my PC Engine collection because everything was bought
0: with, with a thought in mind. I look at this more as an accomplishment at this point versus anything else. Sure, it is. And, not, and not to... Not it's to fucking perseverance of some sort. It's perseverance. <laughs> this isn't some 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 guy off getting an e- instant... I call instant eBay collections within a year. Oh, I got yeah. 700 NES games in a year. Buy them on eBay. You want me to be happy for you? This took... You know how many years of walking around flea markets and thrift stores it took to get this? Going to Funko Lands and digging through... And this took a lot. I remember... Trying to get Bible Adventures for a year just through Funko Land, not even eBay, and going back to the same stores looking for it time and time again until I finally saw that goddamn game on the shelf. It was probably right before I started using eBay. So, yeah, it was probably like 98, early 98. All right, you know so now we sound like cranky old timers no I'm not gonna be cranky old I, I was going the point is I earned this and that's probably why I'll never probably give it up because I earned it the hard way
1: alright believe me I whippersnappers I, 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 ne- I never I
0: never use the eBay for an NES game use it all the
1: time for PC games. and porn. All right, moving on and porn. <laughs> uh cartoon porn
0: <laughs> um okay that's too, too much information <laughs> It was fine just on porn, then you got to go into hentai. I I, I
1: had to... Is it
0: hentai or, like, Fred Flintstone porn images? You know, know, like,
1: hentai. I had to grab that ball, (laughs) intercept it, run it through the time zone, out the gates,
0: across the street. I looked at where it was a fumble on, on like, the two-yard line.
1: Latest WWE developments. Let's get this one out of the way.
0: So, we've been saying since the Royal Rumble, that horrific event, how they've been totally uh, mismanaging Daniel Bryan's uh, push in SummerSlam, the most popular wrestler in the company... Probably the most popular wrestler since arguably when The Rock and Stone Cold left in around 2002 2003, and they've totally been mismanaged his push. They haven't given him a true, as Steve Austin says in his podcast, the green light push, meaning we're putting everything in the company behind you. Right? Uh, They haven't done that until now. They're finally starting to do that. They cannot. They can no longer ignore the reaction of the crowds. They've tried to. Turn him heel earlier in the year. It was like a literally a three week heel turn, which did not work through either their own planning or the fact that I don't understand why it'd be only a three week heel turn back to face. But whatever. Um, and so at the Royal Rumble, he wasn't even in the match. The crowd turned on it. Batista, who 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 came back after uh, four years, who was not a good wrestler then, now he's forty five and just a muscular guy, and that's all he is, and who's not a good worker. He he got the main event spot against Randy Orton. Crowd was booing him though. He didn't come back as a heel, but that's what the crowd made him within a couple weeks. So they decided to turn him heel, which was the right decision. But now you're faced with Orton versus Batista, which you never. We always say you ne- you can never do a heel versus heel match. Your especially... recap
1: is going to be longer than the actual. I news.
0: know. But so the news is this: <laughs> We always said they had to find a way to insert Randy, uh, excuse me Daniel Bryan into the main event right. to make it right. They are finally backtracking doing that on Monday Night Raw. What uh, what what we predicted, which people were saying, oh, Pat predicted it, because anyone could predict this. Yeah, it's um, Originally, the, the rumor was it was supposed to be CM Punk vers- uh, originally versus Triple H at WrestleMania. Since CM Punk left, uh, Triple H was now going to face Daniel Bryan. And the storyline's logical. He's been getting screwed over since SummerSlam. Uh, he got pedigreed after winning uh, the title at SummerSlam, cleanly against John Cena, by the way. And then he got pedigreed, Randy Orton cashed the money in the bank, and... Uh, Daniel Bryan was champion for like a minute and a half. You know, and then he got screwed a couple more times between then. He could have faced Triple H in between now and then. Now he's gonna face WrestleMania. And the stipulation added, uh, Randy Orton actually had like almost like an Occupy wall for Excuse me. Daniel Bryan had like a I had like an Occupy WWE Raw thing where they had people in shirts come around the ring, like fifty people, with him in the ring saying, I'm not gonna leave the ring until you give me what I want, which is a match at you at WrestleMania. Triple H acquiesced. Big and saying you're a B plus player. I'm an A plus player. I'm not going to waste my time with you. Then, then Daniel Bryan added, "If I win our match at WrestleMania, you're going to insert me into the title triple threat match at it's going to triple threat at WrestleMania 30, which we we predicted it would happen. Yeah. So they're going to do that. And then the past Monday on Raw, Triple H said, "If I win, I'm going to be in that triple threat match. And Stephanie McMahon's like, "What the hell are you thinking? We have a family. You can't be a wrestler again. But then, um, it's it's the best they could have done. To, to salvage Daniel Bryan not winning the Royal Rumble like he should have, let alone not being in it. it they finally realize their mistake, that this is the only option they really have. Um, and, and it's it's Daniel Bryan deserves it. Yeah, the only thing I have to say is if they do put the strap
1: on him, he needs there needs to be he needs I think to legitimize his championship reign he needs one really stellar one-on-one well-built up
0: title defense that he wins oh yeah oh no he'll have the title for at least i say three months if he wins right ben, benoit had it for at least a couple months and he had won. it for three um yeah. but i'm just saying like they need to give
1: him so if he's gonna win it in a triple threat to legitimize it at the next pay-per-view he needs a really good
0: one-on-one defense. it'll be it'll be against batista probably because batista will say i got screwed out of this i came back they, they've been building up oh, i don't know how amazing that'll be but yeah but, They've been like, building up. Sure. Batista has been I was saying, "I didn't come back for this BS. I came back for a one-on-one shot. I earned that at Rumble. It logically makes sense. Yeah, sure. that'll probably be his first opponent after after a rematch on Raw with with Orton. That he'll win or it'll, mm-hmm. yeah, because he'll oh, win okay. against Orton. It's a triple threat match. He'll probably pin Orton. Gotcha. And then Batista said, "I wasn't even beat. I won't want a rematch. So there's always a rematch like on Raw. Yeah, against the, They'll lose again. But um, yeah, he'll have it for let's say three four months. Hopefully until SummerSlam. That'd be nice. A nice." five six month reign which we should which be nice um and what what was interesting is that the build-up is now now before there was no interesting matches yeah lesnar undertaker that's gonna be interesting kind of but the beatdown that triple h gave daniel Bryan on raw uh was one of the most brutal ones i've probably seen since the attitude era it was brutal because for a few reasons there has been a brutal beatdown like that during the pg era to this extent uh, the PG era started, I think, like two thousand. They, they used a chair shot, right? I mean, that's, not just that to the
1: head. That's yeah, that's and those
0: were explicitly banned. banned. Yeah. So what happened was he had fake cops come out. Uh, tri- uh, Stephanie had fake cops come out and handcuff Daniel Bryan. And so Triple H was trying to say, "No, oh, what are you doing? Don't throw him out." And then he, he revealed that he was in on it. And beats him up for... Uh, it was like the, um, the, that uncomfortable length of like a 10-minute beatdown. Like, like an old-school NWO beatdown. But no, no. Beyond that to the point where even like the heel announcers are going, okay, that's enough. Right, like, JBL's like the heelish announcer saying, okay, that's enough. This We've gone too far. Like he was like, um, you know, thrown across the table, handcuffed. He was body slammed, handcuffed onto the, the announcement table. Like that's even like, dangerous for his arms, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And then... um Holding him for Stephanie, and then Stephanie's uh, man slapping him. It's funny. He's trying to fight back then. Brian, he goes, he goes to Stephanie and "You hit like a girl." It was' actually really funny. And then, yeah, the biggest thing that was like, "Holy shit!" Because even doing this is dangerous to begin with, but doing it in this era hasn't been seen, and it was even on pay per view. And like I said, you get fined and banned. You can't even blade anymore. You didn't even was to, gonna
1: say, did he blade. Well, well he put like, it of his head, but Yeah,
0: he put his head next to the the, the ring post, laying down. And hit him in the head with the chair. Obviously, he didn't really connect with the head, but it looks like it's like a, the sickest looking shot. Right. That if you miss with that in real life, you're going to do damage. Yeah. You know, the fact that they did that during that to show how serious the Triple H was of killing Daniel Bryan and then pedigreeing him with his arms behind him, too, which is that could be dangerous, too, mm-hmm. if you don't know want to protect the guy. Um, yeah. That's like all of a sudden now this shit is real. Like this is going to be. That's going to be a brutal match. And Dana Bryan's going to have to do double duty. Win that match earlier in the card. Hopefully not get injured during that brutal, which will probably be a brutal match. Then come back and win the triple threat match in the main event for his WrestleMania moment. That's the way it should have been. Besides the fact that he should have won the Royal Rumble. But at least it's the next best thing.
1: Alright. It's 10. We're moving on. Let's, uh... That's your only response? Yeah. 10. Well 10. I, I actually <laughs> want to discuss some of the stuff I've been watching on on the network lately. But we've got Calculords fun. and... Well, I'll, I'll talk about it. So, I wanted to. I, I mentioned it to you. I sent it to you in an email today, but I've been going back and watching
0: stuff. A lot of Savage stuff. And I, I, <laughs> I love I, Savage. I, oh,
1: I fucking love Savage. He's
0: not, he's not uh, a Hall of Fame inductee at this point. The, the, it's Jake the Snake. I thought it, he was last year. I thought they put him in last year. Oh, he's not in. Oh. Uh, he's the biggest guy. He's probably not in it. It's Jake the Snake so far. Fucking hate Jake the Snake. Uh, uh, Cologne. what's his name? Carlos Colon, uh, the guy who was down in, what, Puerto Rico, yeah. who's. who's uh, uh, what's his name? The other wrestler, WWE, who was, is his father. um it Lita? Who am I missing? Actually, there's like five guys. Anyway. A, a Paul Bearer. Yeah. yeah. So I was
1: watching... Uh, Ultimate Warrior. I was watching Warrior yeah. Savage. That's it. I was watching Warrior Savage. Yeah. I believe it's WrestleMania 7. Yes. It's the uh, career versus career match. Yes. And... <laughs> Great match. Well, here's it's, the deal. It's entertaining. So, here, here's please. the thing. It's energy I this is why I wanted to talk about because I feel so torn on it. You can totally see so everyone who watches wrestling with any gusto or passion knows that savage, <laughs> especially in that era was really big on spending time with his opponent and they would always I mean rehearse almost everything more than any normal match where like say in a normal match, pay-per-view match, there's probably five or six big spots that they want to pull off, but everything else is kind of called on the fly. Now, Savage did his more like choreography. They would plan out the entire thing. Mm -hmm. So the choreography here is fantastic. Savage's planning is amazing. You know, crowd is hyped for this match. Um, My issue is, is it was such a cartoony superhero match. Like, the planning was well thought out, but Ultimate Warrior no cells, five diving elbows in a row. But was that Savage's idea? Yeah, it was, but I just feel like Warrior had something to say to it, too. You know? I mean, because it was... And I wonder how much of that was politics, because Savage was on his way out of the company at that
0: point. But Warrior wasn't in a great spot with the company at that point, either, though.
1: No, I just... It it, it was weird to me to see... I mean, and I I feel like it might have been Savage's idea, but to watch him... I mean, it's fun to watch. It is. It's, it's a fun match to watch, because there's all sorts of weird stuff going on and cartoony stuff, you know? Uh, you know.
0: Well, they, but, pro- they probably looked at it as... five? I mean, it... And then, and then he just, you know, well, War was the number, number two face in the company after Hogan, yeah. you know, and he's and he has the the Hulk ability ability like Hogan. I see what you're saying. Like two or three would have been enough probably. Yeah, yeah, do do two. Anyway, he well he didn't no sell all of them. He was out. Well, he, he was yeah, out. yeah, I mean,
1: he was out for all five of them, but still to get up from it it's like whoever decided you you just killed all all and this is why ring psychology is so important. You just ruin that guy's finisher. I mean, granted, it came back as being important later, but you know,
0: five—that's your biggest gripe. I, but come on, post match, it's one of the greatest moments. It was getting yeah. back with Elizabeth.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was cool, and I,
0: like I said, it was a fun match. The, cra- the crowd watching was watching the Crowd was yearning for that moment to finally have Savage back with Elizabeth a- and away from the Sherry. Sherry, yeah. I thought, I always liked how Sherry looked because she was sort of like this, the you know the slutty makeup and the you know she's t- barely holding her holding herself together in those tracks. well they the, it was <laughs> it was amusing because
1: you know Vonnie and myself and i think anthony and a couple other people were watching it and uh they the cameras were set up perfectly to get sherry's ass every single time yeah, she, she was perfect. Yeah. yeah but um, <laughs> no, yeah, macho man one of the best looking outfits he's ever been in there the macho king fucking uh, like, blue and white with like the spangly 10 different outfits yeah, Gosh, he had more yeah. than that. And Vonnie loves him. She's like, did he make his own outfits? I'm like, I'm pretty sure he had all the just input give, on the, the design. Input. And she's like, that's amazing. So, anyways, yeah, that's the only one I really wanted to bring up because it was weird. That's, it's it, that's it's fun to watch. It, 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 they, they work it well, especially yeah. having Warrior on the other side is not very good, but... Yeah, but Warrior can... His, just, can, just can just weird. I mean, well,
0: Warrior, Warrior Hogan's a good match. You know, like, he, he can... It is. It, it,
1: Warrior I, Hogan is a good match, like... like Rock Hogan was a good match, though it's it's just the electricity.
0: There was some decent, there were some decent sort of transitions and things in that match, though that I, I think Pat Patterson helped them put together that match. Uh, but there, it, it made logical sense. That's what that's what I look for in my matches. I wanted to make logical sense first and foremost. Ring psychology, the, yeah, the fact that there's a reason wrestler does A then B then C. There's there's logical reactions to certain moves repeated and transitions, reversals, and that match had that, at least. Like I said, Warrior, he has, obviously, the good ring presence, obviously, the crystals off the charts, but he he could keep up, I guess he can keep up if things were laid out for him, right? what to do. Yeah. So, there you have it. What about Sting? You like Sting? Sting. (laughs) I'm so excited, real quick, just for Sting coming to WWE, I'm gonna mark out, like, it's 1998 again for Sting, and supposedly the word is, he's signed, he just did a um, he just did a, a like some sort of, I don't know, he was on some sort of show with an audience and they asked him point blankly uh, a few days ago and he kind of just coyly I think the response was the effect of, you kind of figure I am already, but I can't say anything. You yeah. know what I mean? That's what wrestlers usually do when they're asked something like that. It's like, well, never say never, wink, you know. Or it, yeah. So he's going to come back. I'm I'm juiced for that because he was supposed to come back. He even said himself he was this close to signing like three, four years ago. Uh, so it he, he was obviously just a matter of timing at this point, and TNA's treating him like, crap, that's going nowhere, so why not? Why not finish his career in WWE, go in the Hall of Fame, have some good matches against guys like, like The Undertaker at WrestleMania 31. That'll be a huge match, you know, for both of them. All right. So cool. the last
1: topic we got for the
0: evening. Let's um, talk about let's talk about a droid iPhone game from my pal Sean Baby.
1: Yeah, I'm not. It, it's it's interesting for us to actually kind of discuss and review a game on here, and I'm not sure why we picked this one. Probably because of the Sean Baby connection. Yeah, but, so, so but Calculords. I love collectible. Yeah, I love collectible card games. Um, Calculords. It's a it's a collectible card game. Um, and it's a lane based combat. Three lanes. So there's three lanes, and at the end of each lane is a base, and what you do is you play cards, and those put units in the lanes. And the lanes move every t- every turn, and when they
0: collide with other units, they do battle. They have hit points, uh, and uh, basically, they have hit points and attack points. They have different attributes. Right. Both some have specials. Some special some abilities. Special, there's tactics
1: cards, just like a, 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 any other right, card. Right, game. which is which is an effect card, um, you know, buffs and stuff like that. What's interesting about this game uh, is I, I'm going to try to keep myself without... Limit myself to rambling. Uh, two points. This is a free-to-play game. free-to-play. I just free want to just mention that real quick. Which is Okay, nice. so two points. One, the way you play the cards is phenomenally clever and unique. It's called Calculords for a reason. You get numbers, and you get the, the operators for addition, subtraction, and multiplication. multiplication. No division. And all of your cards have a number... Attached them. to them, yes. and if you get that number by using the number cards that you have, you can play it. Now, if you use up all your number cards, you get a second set of number cards so that you can keep playing cards on into your turn. Once you've so, played all the cards, you hit fight. The turn's over, and the turn's over, and putting, any any they advance on the lanes.
0: If they meet the enemy, they fire upon them. If they meet the base, they do damage to the base, and then the defensive cars fire back when they're attacked. On right. So this is what's interesting. Is yes, you get random. It's you get random. You get nine random numbers you get up to six cards. Six. I think you start with five until you earn the sixth one when All you right. level up. But, yeah. So, what, what's interesting is that, yes, you have to think. Um, it actually encourages some logical thinking because it's not always easy to get rid of your cards. No. And then, plus, uh, we talked about this before, uh, you have six cards to play. In order to get rid of them uh, w- w- in the basically two sets of nine numbers, you really should get rid of at least three on the first set of nine numbers. So, to come up with a calculation, and these aren't just like 10 and 13, 44, 52, 83, yep. 95, uh, I think one card is 115, it's a mutant card you're stuck with, you have to play, or 111, you have to multiply and divide with... There's with, no, division, I, well, no division. okay, so subtract, subtract, I mean... Well, it's division in a way, but anyway. But but the fact of the matter is you have to come up with logical re- reasoning Behind getting these numbers to where you want them to be, again with having no other numbers appear when you use them up on your cards, and so even if you start up slow, at least for me, I'm like, first, like, how the hell am I going to do this? Uh, You get good at it after you keep playing it. You actually, your mind gets used to it, and after a while, you're finding yourself coming up with problem. It's problem solving. Right. It's fun to begin with. Uh, Sean Baby designed the game and he drew all the cards and obviously his humor's out there because of the sayings of the enemies, which is funny. The all uh, uh, personalities and even how the cards look and his his, his signature is all over it. Um, but yeah, it's entertaining and yet you do learn a little bit. Even if you're not really good at math, you it'll teach you to get better at it.
1: Right. So that was the last. The, the, there was so the other a couple points. Yeah, that's what I want to say. I hate math, but the game's a lot of fun because it's math in a unique way. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, though, is the whole free-to-play thing is normally a huge turnoff for me because it's never free-to-play. Sure. Uh, this game appears... Now, Pat's played further than I have, but... I it. Beat it, it. it yeah, he's beaten it, and Pat didn't spend a, a red cent. No. Um, you don't have to spend anything. What it more is is uh, anyone who's ever played a living an LCG, a living card game from like, Fantasy Flight or whatever what he has made available are a couple of packs where you know exactly what cards you're getting it's not a booster it's not like other card games on the phone where you get random shit and they just want to take you for the money it tells you exactly what cards you're getting what card, what, to what add pal- to your your your
0: your yeah. pool yeah there's like three or four packs with of like five or six cards each and it tells you what the powers yep. are what the cost is but like i said there's sev- there's seven enemies you have to beat each enemy two or three times to advance so yeah. the last one is called hate bit which is funny because hate bit Speaks in like English, and um, he's just like an eight-bit face, I and mean, he—it's fine because every turn they'll taunt you, or if you're spending too much time, they'll taunt you with yeah. things. Um, but it's—it's it's not easy. It's not an easy game. You have to think logically. Uh, there's one enemy who's the third, the last enemy, I believe, that will always use a tactics card to shut down one lane so you can't deploy units that lane, which means you can't really defend it unless you get a tactics card or some special card. So that means it's like a race against time. Or you have to be very smart, so the enemies do act a little differently, I, which is nice. I so
1: believe all the in-app purchases in total add up to about ten dollars. Even if you wanted to do that, even if if you wanted to, which if you enjoy it is more than which I think is more than fair enough, and I think it's a really well-made game. Uh, my thing is, I may buy a pack, or I may you know you may just to and check them out. Well, no, 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 because they're 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 different cards. I may trust trust too, but my thing is is here's the big problem. Uh, the game has no multiplayer. Yes. If the game had multiplayer, I would buy all the card packs in an instant just to give we'd myself be, We'd more, be playing yeah, just, during the day. Just, <laughs> for more deck building, just for more deck building options.
0: But you can build a deck by, when you defeat your enemies, you get one or two cards. If you go back and defeat the same enemy, you'll get one or two cards. Uh, it could be the same ones, it could be different sure. ones. So I've beaten every enemy probably, with, besides Hatebit, which is the last one, who's extremely difficult. I've only beaten twice and probably lost about 12 times. So it's difficult. But I've gotten some I have a good deck. I have like a hundred and twenty something cards. i I think I use a deck of about a hundred and three because there's some cards I don't like.
1: Well, that's insane.
0: What that many cards? I don't know much about this world. Yeah, you I really. I don't. should pare it down more. If 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 it says the minimum is thirty, you always go for the minimum. Well, does that mean, you can reuse the cards. Like do they come back into the deck after well, they're gone. You, you just you don't use the out. best
1: cards you have. What I don't mean? know. I don't. I don't know how they do it in this, but okay. like all ma- ma- Magic is sixty cards. No one. I'm not. I can't say no one, but for the most part, everyone is going to play with sixty okay. because because there's
0: not more than ten moves. Because what
1: you do is you 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 you. you as as you get more cards you put the best ones in you don't want to have to keep pulling your crap cards to get to the good ones you want you want your deck tight and focused and that's
0: that's any card game so you can't run out then what if you run out of cards in the Well you lose? no you
1: you can i mean
0: uh, for instance, in I've done more than I've done uh, ten more than ten turns uh, is playing this game.
1: For instance, in Netrunner, if, if if you're playing incorporation side and you lose all your cards, you you die. That's a tactic. That another, yeah. but but there is there's far more negative to having more cards than you
0: need than less. Okay, try to beat the last couple of guys with 30 uh, cards and see what happens. If you're you not build, gonna build your deck right, you probably should be able to. You're not. I'm just telling you, you're not. You're gonna have you're gonna be struggling out every tooth and nail, especially since there's cards like. Um, there's a card that you can be used against you multiple times on against I think the captain oh it's his name Corp, or the, the general brack whatever his name is he uses uh, the offensive shout which gets rid of all your offensive unit cards. So you'll be stuck with one card uh, for some turns or zero. All of a sudden those five are gone or six are gone. Yeah, but and he does that multiple times. It's gonna in
1: happen no matter how many units you have.
0: Yes, but what happens then when you run out of cards? If you only have thirty cards and well, he half only your has only has
1: I I don't know. Look, like, all I know is I, I don't. I play, think... I've played card games plenty. Okay. You always want the these. Okay. You almost okay. always want the smallest, most precise deck you can build.
0: The computer hasn't run out of cards yet in, in any game I played. Like I said, I, I played a game yesterday against Hatebit, the last guy, and I probably sent at least fifty units his way. No, we'll see. It was, a lot. It, we'll was see a lot. it was a lot. I get further. Well, you'll see. But it's a fun game. I haven't bought it. I, my deck is is nice. But, yes, Sean, maybe, if you're listening, how me a little interview about it. Because uh, I met him at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. He was, like, 30 feet away from me the whole time uh, promoting the game. I think at the time he was actually thinking about uh, having a price on it, or maybe not. But uh, I was a nice guy, and he explained me explained the game to me. And, honestly, I'm the type of person that, unless I play it, I have no idea what's going on. He explained it to me, and I don't understand it. I honestly was like, okay, that sounds cool. I don't understand it. Yeah, Once no. I played it, the tutorial, it's fine.
1: Yeah, and, and I think we can and you can,
0: you can You can also even edit the, the numbers that appear for you to... To to do that 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 gets into a that's a whole level level of strategy that my non math
1: brain you know just doesn't have, (laughs) but yeah we can leave it with that I think I think really it's worth checking You've heard us talk about really the best thing you can do is it's free download it It, it's not gonna
0: beg you for cash just play a couple rounds you'll enjoy it you'll understand it way better than we can describe it. Decent music funny like kind of that in between eight and sixteen bit sort of sprites style which is nice like sixteen bit wannabe eight bit sprites so yeah maybe we'll get Sean maybe on for an interview. Uh, in the future about it, it'd be nice. So, Q&A time? Yeah, let's do it. This has been a nice, tight pot- t- podcast with lots of topics. I'm going to use the
1: restroom, so why don't you hum a little intermission tune while you Ian's pissing, questions.
0: this is the tune where Ian takes a whiz. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. Ian's got the bladder of a four-year-old. Oh, real quick, I mean, we can talk about, over the weekend, uh, the stream we did. Uh, for uh, for Justin on RetroWare, that was fun. We it was. This. We did it Siren Night.
1: I we tried to stick with imports because that's
0: what he always loved. And it was I, American Foundation for Suicide Pre- Prevention. Yep. We raised. I think we raised about four hundred dollars in a couple of hours, did, which was nice.
1: That is cool. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's not just the money you raise, but by donating money to something like that, you, you're kind of saying, I I don't believe there's a stigma to this anymore. And sure. The, the more people who who come out and say that, the better. It's Really frickin' important. Um, But we did have fun. We played imports. I grabbed a couple of Sentai games because I think he probably would have been into those. Uh, We had fun. We had a great
0: time playing the Cyber Combat Police. Yeah, yeah, Fighting Firefrog. I (laughs) want to put that online because I think that's hysterical, some of (laughs) those things. I want to put like like a best of clips of those. Uh, It was fun, I I came back and played Magical Chase In like a half Yeah, I heard you played Ballas for about an hour or two uh, Ballas Ballas 2, which I forgot I had And I I got to like, the. it must have been the last level It was impossible, the last level Her attacks are so underpowered Once you get that far, it's like, you gotta hit the same guy 14 times To beat him, it's like, come on But it was fun, I enjoyed playing it And even even though you see like a, you know Japanese hentai ass, basically Alright, so
1: I'm gonna gonna We'll start
0: with this one Oh, you want it? You want it? Yeah. Why not? We can both go through. Well, let's these. go. Let's go all the way down. Ooh, I, I did. You want to be the guy that runs through for a change? We're we going back to what's the date? What's the earliest date? Uh, March seventh. yeah. I guess you start. How did you meet Frank? That's a mystery.
1: Yeah. I what know. does
0: Ian think of him? And does Frank enjoy being in your videos? What do you think of Frank? Frank and I gel on certain topics. Okay, I, I see what you're saying, but is that all you're
1: gonna say? I like Frank a lot. I like sitting in Frank's backyard, <laughs> watching birds. <laughs> do do do, looking at Frank's backyard,
0: smelling meat cook. <laughs> you haven't Sh- been over in a while. Sharing knots, anyways. Sharing knots. So does yeah. Frank enjoy being in my in my videos? No, not until he's doing it. He doesn't. No, he does. I don't either. The, well, you two gave me, you two are, are not a good influence on each other like, around me. Uh, the one shoot we did together with all three of us, you were, you were both were bishing within literally ten minutes. You did not make it easier. You made it tougher. I'm talking about the cliffhanger part, two. But, no, Frank has enjoyed being in videos. He enjoys being in the videos that don't take a huge amount of time and take, like, an hour and a half to do. And he actually enjoys seeing the result. And he likes doing the ass Frank videos and things like that. So, I mean, he's always, always regretful until actually he's into it. He's like a diva. Once he's actually doing it, he's like, okay, it's fine. For the most part. Um... This is an easy question. I'll just say this is from Shane Prutzman. What is the worst example of an NES game not worth its inflated value due to poor playability? Stadium events. One, I was gonna say one, two, three stadium events.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a lot of really rare games. You know, aren't generally worth the money you pay for in terms of fun. But stadium events is the king of that.
0: Yeah, and it's more. It's even more apparent because you can buy world class track meet. So oh. it's not even. It's not even. It's beyond it's it's really then worth the $3 that you can buy World Class Track meat for. Um This is from at Geron, who also writes for the com. check him out. With gaming journalism uh, reporting in quotes leak content, do you think these leaks are intentional marketing?
1: Uh Yeah, it's possible. I have a tough time really looking at any game journalism site as anything other than intentional marketing i mean it leaks uh yeah i just don't i don't see them as being negative to the company and it makes the the website maybe sound interesting oh we got this leak or we got this scoop but i don't know because you look at it and uh Places don't break embargo, you know, the, 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 or, you know, NDAs, you know, the really big things, they don't. So these, well, they need r- their free copies to review. Yeah. So these leaks, I, yeah, if I feel the like they could the... totally
0: just be a, a clever way of spinning a, a headline. Which is why to me, journalism doesn't begin in the first place. If, if you're on, if you're on the fence, I mean, if you're always, you know, you're leashed to these sort of th- rules or else you won't get your free copies and you're screwed. Right. And that, that'll, that'll prevent you from maybe putting on an overly negative review. Then you're, you're, hand- you're not a journalist at that point. You're right. just a barker. Yeah, I called Jeff Keighley a barker before. That's what I think he is. Yeah. You know, he's not a journalist. Um, This is from at David Snuskrop. Why doesn't Ian like Braid? Not a huge fan myself, but I found it cute and entertaining, albeit quite pretentious.
1: Uh, It's kind of pretentious. That's honestly not really what bothers me as much as I just hate that time-rewind puzzle... um, puzzle platform mechanic. I really just could not dig it. On top of the fact that I didn't really care for the way it looked, I didn't care much for the story. I understand why a lot of people would probably enjoy it, but I couldn't, I couldn't hang with it for more than half an hour.
0: And by the way, uh, guys, just so you know that the more questions we get every week, we can't answer all of them. It'll, if we answer once before or if, or if I'm looking in the fly, I don't think they're interesting. I hate to say it or... You know what I mean? I'm trying to keep it fresh. Um, plus, like, yes or no answers, I try not to... You could shower. That would keep you fresh. I do shower every day, Ian. It's good.
1: I like this question, so I'm going to ask it. We know about Devils. This is from uh, uh, Rickety Rack. Where are you at? You're not going to order. Whatever. <laughs> we know about Devil's Crush, Kirby's Pinball Land, and Pinball Quest. Are there any other hidden gem pinball games we should play? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can't discount what came before some of these games. Alien Crush is really, really good. It's only two level instead of three level, but... The mini-games and the, the, the quality of the, the design is still there. Um, same with Kirby's Pinball Land. Gators Revenge is or Revenge of the Gator is arguably the precursor to Kirby's Pinball Land made by Hale. I had that, yep. I think. It's a ton of fun. It's only one table, but it's really good. Um, I really like Rockin' Ball on the NES for the two-player pinball we modes. That. We have fun with that every year during Rockin the marathon.
0: Fun. there's a bunch, There's a few different
1: ones. And then uh, Pinball Effects and uh, Pinball Arcade are both really good modern pinball games. Pinball Arcade Uh, aims to recreate you know real tables and pinball effects is
0: a little bit more freeform but yeah there's tons of good pinball games out there we'll just alternate but i'll try to keep in order sure what are your thoughts on powerblade on the nes is from mr drunk reviews and is the expensive sequel worthy well ian your thoughts on powerblade i really like both
1: those games the second one um didn't stick with me as much as the first one it's did one
0: of those drop offs
1: but you know my buddy who pointed out the worth of it to me said he likes it better than the first one so it depends but yeah I, I look at it like a chippendale too it's, it's or a ducktales it's too a it's same. still a good ta- it's game but it, it's not
0: as good as the original yeah you're not missing out that much if you don't have it especially right. for the hundred and whatever because well,
1: the first one's I, perfectly good and you can get that for cheap god i got my copy for like 35 dollars. i bought mine for five Well, I'm talking about... I know, I'm just saying it's another reason why... Yeah, I'm talking like 98, which is another reason why I wasn't sad to see it go. All right, you pick one. Um, Let's see, let's see, let's see. Quick
0: Quickly.
1: Did you okay? This is from Nathan Wilcox. Nate Wilcox, twenty-three. I don't even know where you're looking,
0: by the way, since I don't even see that question.
1: Did you ever experience anxiety about appearing or watching yourself on video? Uh, yeah, I still can't watch myself on video, and it's uh, one of the main reasons I hate being in Pat's videos, and I don't watch them, even
0: though you do a good job. Thanks, I the, appreciate it. The anticipation it. video was 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 still. A blast.
1: I did watch that once with you, I think, because you made me, what you were like, you've got to watch it, and it was amusing. We'd, we already it, shot that two, it was like two and a half years ago we shot that almost. Yeah, but you know, I mean, the reason why that one worked and that one was fun is because it's it wasn't that much different than this. We had, you know, our scripted intro and out, outro segments, but the playing of Anticipation was just you and I sitting
0: around shooting the shit. That's why we needed a, uh, let's play with Ian and Pat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is from at uh, Callum Hawks if you could have any franchise made into Lego what would it be <laughs> uh, Lego the ring I, 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 want, I want Lego ring you can't no, make the, the, the movie game. the ring yeah what yeah <laughs> Knight Rider I don't know. <laughs> um, it's, your turn you should just go from top to bottom oh. I'll go bottom up. guess. all right let me see what these are my turn. You're taking too long. This is from at Rapture in Venice. How many times, Pat, did you intentionally screw up takes with the dominatrix so you could, in quote, film them again? I actually couldn't because uh, she was on the clock and I was paying her. So, I mean, we, we agreed beforehand how long she was in this thing. So, she actually was really cool, Julia. And uh, we went over by probably 45 minutes. But um, she had to get out of there. She she had to go to the dungeon to work. Right. You know that that that's I think no longer downtown. I think they closed it, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I we we really didn't. I didn't want to do the spanking shot five times. My ass was hurting for three days. <laughs> but I wanted. I'm I, I I I for my art, I sacrifice. So this one's from uh,
1: Zach Tyke uh, at Pens underscore Mini sixty six. Uh, what do you guys think about the Peanuts movie coming in 2015? Okay. This is a touchy one for me. I'm a huge Peanuts fan, uh, sort of a Peanuts collector, although I've really slowed down on the stuff that I get that's not books or specials related, but uh, very near and dear to my heart, probably one of my favorite things ever, the comic strip. Um, Storyline-wise, I feel like they could get the spirit of the Peanuts right. I've seen that with the comics that Kaboom has put out. The 3D, guys, holy shit, why does it need to be in 3D? It's easier to do. Yeah, I but I, 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 I'm going to sound like that guy. I have no interest in watching it. I have none. Really? No interest oh, yeah. in seeing it. I mean, like I said, I, I feel like they could get a decent story. Because whoever's been what? in charge of his okay. estate has been doing that well. Why
0: would, why would Mrs. Schultz agree to it then?
1: Well, it's been said that she worried about it a lot, but I... That's just hard for me. I haven't I I haven't watched this, a lot this of this is
0: uh, Bill Waters' greatest fear. By the way, this is why he'll never do a movie. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I understand, or
0: even anything, anything right. animated at all.
1: So I, the story could be passable. It could be in the spirit of Shawls. I just don't think doing a three D CG Peanuts movie is in the spirit of Peanuts
0: at all. You though. think that that goes too far away from right? It.
1: I'm not saying it can't be done or it can't even be done reasonably
0: well. I just for you, it's not there. It's definitely. yeah, I right. Um, this is from Mark Barley who writes a really cool uh, indie gaming column on the punk effect and does reviews um, two tweet question do you think next gen consoles will become a revolution or remain an evolution uh, new games are very familiar but only have better graphics I think we said it before that this, this, ne- this next gen is not a revolution it's, a bit, it's, like a, it's like a 1.5 version of the, of the consoles that came before PS4 is like PS3.5 that's you know what I mean. It's not. There's not enough different from the last system. It's it's almost not necessary. They could have waited two years maybe. And be like oh, but the graphics. If that's all you're really upgrading, you're not even upgrading to, to. It's not the step from PS2 to PS3. PS3 to PS4 is not that step. It's somewhere. A lot less yeah, significant. It's, so when, we talked about this before. It, it's this is I think this is the last real, real console generation. I well, said that before.
1: The only thing I can say like to add to it is you know when they announced it, the PS4 and the Xbox One last year, I was like, well, I don't want an Xbox One, I don't think. And the PS4 looks fairly looks like there's potential, right? I'm like, but we'll see. I'm not really excited. I said, I bet, I bet when we get into 2014 and some announcements start hitting, yeah. I'll be more excited. Uh, I haven't been I haven't been less excited about <laughs> about a, 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 any consoles in longer than I
0: can remember. Let's, let's just grab the refurbished Wii U for two hundred bucks. Let's just do that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean a Wii U sounds fun, but I mean I'm having fun playing through my back catalog. There's still great games for the PS3. I just got um, you know Dark Souls two, and with the amount of time that I have to play games, that and Gundam Breaker will keep me busy for months. All
0: right, your turn for a question. Um, not ready to go again. Just you mm. keep going. Responsibility. You're shirking your responsibility. Oh, which, okay.
1: I, I do want to talk about this one. Cartridge Brothers at, um, at Cartridge Brothers. Which wrestling tag team is your all time favorite? I'd pick Demolition or the Rockers. Mm. I actually really like the Rockers. Um,. And the more I watch some of the older stuff, the more I remember why I really like the Rockers. They're fun. They're so many, entertaining. So many
0: two man moves, you know. Tag
1: yeah, teams. Um, a lot of good stuff there. Um, most of my favorite tag teams, though, were Japanese tag teams, and they were kind of one offs. They would usually come out of factions like uh, the ones that you'd see in Dragon Gate. Um, but like the three man tags and some of the two man tags over there, like you not, know Shima not, and Yoshino. Not with Dragon Gate at Okay, all. it's what Torimon was. It's Ultimo. Dra- it was Ultimo Dragons. Jim. Okay. And then Dragon Gate split off of it. Okay. Okay. So, like, uh, you know, Shima and Yoshino and all those guys did, like, great tag matches. Um, it's different in Japan. The tag teams don't seem to be as uniform, but the tag team matches are a lot more fun. Here, the tag teams tend to stay together forever, um, but I don't like... I, you know what? Not so much
0: anymore. I mean, they, they, they started breaking up after like a year and a half here now. Yeah, but.
1: so I, I can't of <laughs> any real modern ones. I know there's ones I'm missing from, like, the WCW era, but the Rockers I would the, be a classic. I just
0: love the Killer Bees. Oh. This, is, this is what I grew up with. <laughs> uh, I like the Fabulous Freebirds as well, because I, I love Michael Hayes. Who, what tag teams don't even like in WCW? WCW did not have, a, uh, during the heyday the Monday Wars. they didn't have a lot of good tag teams. They are always hodgepodge thrown together, like GDP with, like, Canyon. You know, It, it was like the Barbarian and Ming. If that you know, I see what you're saying. I, I like demolition. I did just from their outfits. I did. I never got into them. Smashed. Ah, ah. I don't know what yeah. Um, I want to do two questions because the first one's a comedy one. Sure. I hate to give it away. Um, have you ever thought of changing the name of the show to Two Guys One CU Podcast"? Oh yeah, I saw That's that. That's very clever. Very clever, John. Um, at that Craig fellow. Question for both Pat and Ian: What is the most memorable open world/slash landscape from a game for you, and why? Um, Privateer Two, just because I'm in love with the space ex- exploration side of, of, of like an open world. Um, I'm. It's a shame that they didn't follow it up with Privateer Three because Privateer Two was fair. It was a lot to go through, but it was fairly limited what you can do. There is yet to be that really huge open world game that you can that with, with the technology now for a space exploration, like Private Tier 2, I, I think there was Freelancer as one, well, but I'm talking about like modern sort of like really can do it up. Like like a GTA in space. That right, what they I'm don't really for. do
1: those types of games anymore. So that's of the thing. Right. Those games could. Oh, so I should answer the question too. And this is not because of your answer, but one of my earliest memories of one and my favorite is a game called Lightspeed by
0: Microprose,
1: which okay. was also a. Uh, diplomacy slash dog fighting slash mining in an open space environment like an elite type game, you know. And so that's, I love this. That's,
0: that's even more in project Proctor. You could even do mining, right? So know?
1: what I love about what's interesting about those games is it was very easy to create a very big world on an old computer because space has no landmarks or anything yeah. like that. I would, I would love to see a modern day version of something like oh, that yeah. with the power that that Make that we cool. have. You know, the randomization. I mean, how much can yeah, change so you every can time? Reply it-
0: Put it, put in a main storyline, but then have a bunch of like, hundreds of side missions and quests. Yeah, the thing is, yeah. you don't have to change much. Just a, oh. just a person in their ship,
1: put make make some good dogfighting controls, and, and 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 really work the diplomacy
0: angle. What is it? Is that your diplomacy? Diplomacy? Dollars for diplomacy. <laughs> <All right. laughs> <laughs> Diplomacy. That's Diplomacy. a new word. And hell, you can even have it. To, modders can make their own missions and quests, or, you know, yeah. make their own missions, and that would be cool. Yeah, there's definitely a market for this. Yeah, God. Private 3 was in development and they canceled it, and I was like, oh, man. Because as cool as seeing Clive Owen and John Hurt and Christopher Walken in Private Tier 2 was, the main story is what really drew me to the game. No. It was the side missions and the freedom you had, even though there were problems with that game. I never played Private Year 1 before Private Tier 2. That was my first sort of, you know, jump into that universe. Alright, your turn. I told you to take it from me. Okay. Uh, at Video Game Heaven, being a sponsor, my store is going to be in a future issue of Read Retro, I guess as an advertiser. Do you enjoy writing for them as a reg regular? I've only written for one issue of, of Retro, um, which is a retro magazine being put out by Mike Kennedy from Game Gavel. I'm in issue two, which is coming out within a month. And then I'm going to be in issue three, which I still have to write. I guess I'm going to be a regular writer. I like writing. The fact that I'm, I'm technically now a professional writer. I showed you the check today. I'm like, oh, I'm a paid writer. That's really cool. So, yeah, it's a cool thing. Um, my article series is called NES Nation. I figure that's appropriate. And kind of humorous and kind of informative at the same time like my videos. So, um, yeah, look out the, for the first issue. The first uh, or first issue. The second issue of my first article is going to be about hypocrisy and, N- and NES uh, censorship. This is from at Seenest Destroyer, Matt, who's in the chat, helping out. Are either of you Doctor Who fans? If so, who's your favorite Doctor?
1: I am. I'm a recent Doctor Who fan, and my only real experience so far is with Tennant, and I really like him. Um, I want to go back and see the Eccleston stuff, because I really like Eccleston as an actor. He was only in, I think, nine episodes, one season. Um so I'd like to go and see that. Or
0: thirteen, something like that. It was like one yeah, it was one. It was one season.
1: My yeah. fiance watched that stuff when I was out of town, I think, at Magfest, and she said that Eccleson was great, but you know, he was basically used simply to reintroduce people to the universe and Tenant, you know, became the the face for a long time. That said, I'm really enjoying it. I'm 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 loving the show. Um it's funny. It's you know people I think are intimidated by Doctor Who because there's so much lore and backstory to it. But it's it's just it's one of those shows that actually you'd be surprised. You can just kind of drop in and watch it, yeah. and you can figure it out because it, it, it everything's changing. Everything is fluid. Everything is. It, it's just you there. It's, once you get the basic concept of what Doctor Who is about, yeah. you don't.
0: You can you can start anywhere. I, I start. I. Um, I watched the the uh, the the Christmas special, and then the one before that. So I watched the 50th anniversary. So as someone who never watched the full episode, I always saw parts of it. I saw the 50th anniversary, which is cool. I'm a big fan of people that like connecting the past and things like that, and in any sort of continuity of, of comics, I love when they have a history. Yeah. And 50 years, that's awesome. And so having the finale, even though I was not familiar, it's like wow, it gave me goosebumps seeing all the old doctors help out and how they did in the 50th anniversary. Then the Christmas special. Which was the last episode for what, Matt Smith, and I actually teared up, even though, as someone who well, not fo- not followed the series. This is the beautiful thing about it was well, so well done, and such a good send off uh, for this actor and character, and so heartfelt. It's like, wow, this is getting me emotional, and I'm not even um, that emotionally invested in this.
1: This that's the beauty of Doctor Who is uh, even without a whole lot of investment, this each each story, whether it be a, a one shot or a multi parter. Um, they're written so well that there's a lot of humor, but I can't tell you how many times I've choked up watching episodes
0: of Doctor Who. Sure. There's a, it's it's lighthearted, but there's, it's dramatic as well. They're, they're
1: very, very good with the drama and the human emotion.
0: Okay. Um, I'm not sure what that one is. Describe
1: so a day that. in the life of Patter Ian from sun up to sundown. This is from Mark Podcast. This is real easy. Here's what I do: I wake up, I shower, I throw on whatever clothes don't smell like shit. I go to work, I deal with people all day. That smell like shit. I come home, I drink, I spark one, and I go to bed.
0: Do a podcast sometimes. Do a podcast sometimes.
1: Read, deal with Pat's inane phone calls throughout the day. Snuggle with fiance, play a couple games, go to bed. Nine hours of my day are dealing with sometimes really really nice people Uh, and other times
0: just. Jerks. I, I wish I, I had a typical day. I mean, I get up, I do some writing, I work on some of my video stuff, my website. Um, I'll go to the I go to the gym almost every day. Pe- some people know that. I try to stay in, in decent shape. I'll hang out with Frank a couple times a week. Probably on average, I'll see Frank two or three times a week. You know, we'll hang out. Um, hang out with Ian once a week, maybe. We hang out on Wednesdays and I always have people over to my place on Sundays for well, board gotta, games and video games. I gotta games, get you, to that. But you gotta come to Frank's. Or but been, you're always eating with Frank. You haven't been to Frank's in two years. You, you gotta haven't come been to Frank's. my house in two years. I was Frank's
1: like, a few weeks ago Absolutely. when I came over. You
0: came over on Saturday. Alright. So, so but that's our typical day. It's not too typical. It's our typical week. The one thing that's surprising that besides this writing project I'm working on that requires me to play games which we'll reveal later in the year um, I don't re- play that many games every day. Besides the ones on my phone, I play Zynga poker. I'm, I'm, I want to play real poker because I think I'm decent at it, but whatever. That's fine. That's our typical days. They're not really typical. Uh, this or is interesting. At, at Chiba, uh, Chiba UFO, Christina. Hey, Christina. Hello. Hello. Have any tried the Retron 5? What are your thoughts and opinions on it? I uh, you can watch but it. You have. Go on YouTube. You, you type in Retron uh, 5, Christina. My, I'm the first video. I did it for RetroWare at E3 last year. What a great time I had at E3 last year. It's a whole other topic, at least post E3, finding out. Um, what happened from there, <laughs> um, uh, shut up and focus. So restaurant five does my, it's going to be, I think if it does what it's promised going to do, I'm going to get one. I think it's going to be very successful. It's, it's going to be a blend of hardware and emulation, uh, things running really like save States filters. I think it's going to be great. I personally do if it promises and it's built well. Yeah. That's my
1: concern. I haven't touched it yet, but I have touched a lot of Hyperkin products and you know what I've caused for concern, but so many people want this. I think all the delays have been bullshit reasoning. I think they're delaying it because I'm hoping that they're actually like, wait, whoa, if we ship this out and You're it like has a failure rate of yeah. X product, then we're well, boned. Well, so. well, they already
0: said the first the first delay was because of the, the pins or whatever.
1: Yeah. Anyways, well, I I, I, I,
0: I, I I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, this is from at Mega Five K Megan. Hey Megan, it's rumored there'll be another there'll be another Capcom character added to Smash Brothers. Which character do you think it will be? I think mean, Ryu would be a pretty easy choice. I don't like seeing like human type people in Smash Brothers like solid Sting. That's kind of like doesn't belong. I like the cartoony characters like Mega Man or Sonic. That's yeah, just me. I,
1: but I just feel like I mean, it, to me, if, if you're going to pick one like obvious
0: fighter fighting game choice, it would be Ryu. You know, it would make sense. This is from at Game Mana. What do you think of Shock Two? I guess this is a new Kickstarter. I've heard a little bit about it. I don't know
1: now you're getting into my territory so i think we're we're kind of right now we're up. gonna wrap yeah. or I wrap
0: up i'm not doing a top 10 list sorry Juan. i'm not doing a top 10 list on the podcast um this is from that nick steve 7 talk about the godzilla movie it's coming out in, in may i believe right
1: i'm getting more it's, excited about it the i've heard a couple of things i brian I, cranston's a great actor he's he's yeah. in it
0: and they're, they're taking it seriously which is yeah. nice. yeah not like I, Godzilla 2000. The you know,
1: trailers or... have done nothing for me.
0: Really? But, the first one I thought was cool. But what,
1: from what I... Well, okay. The trailers haven't excited me, but what they've done is show me a tone that I can get behind. So I'm okay with that.
0: Um, this is from at Blaster Master. Oh, hey, Blaster Master. If, you, if you've seen the new trailer, what do you guys think about the new, albeit late, Sin City sequel? Yeah, this has been developed for like four or five years. Remember, Sin City came out in 2005. This is nine years later. Yes. It's based upon a dame to kill for, which I have in read, and it's an excellent story. It's a prequel uh, story, which came out after the original Sin City uh, graphic novel. Um, it has Marv in it, Marv's in it, and and he teams up with the um, the Clive Owen character. What's his name? I totally forget his name right now. But it's but he he's going to look differently. So I think it's, he's being played by Josh Brolin because in the story, spoilers, he gets plastic surgery part way through to, to look like how he does in Sin City. I think it's going to be fine. I, 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 I think the original Sin City movie was done well. It sticked with the comic about 95%. There's only a couple of things they, they omitted out. But otherwise, I thought it was fine. If you like that sort of thing, it was, it was done well enough. Carla Car, Car, like Gugino, thank you for being naked. You have an awesome body. That's all I'm going to say about Sin City too. People, that's Whenever I bring up the movie, that's what Frank says. And I agree. Amazing. So we'll see. I'll probably, I'll probably catch it, if not in theater, on, on, you know, on DVD.
1: All right, take us up one more.
0: A couple more we're running out of here. Okay. Like I said, I've covered. I've covered. Well, most you didn't it. get at Zach Attack 1984. Do you think collectors who obsess over condition, owning every game, are partly to blame for recent flood of fake games? If they would stop paying so much attention, they could just have their complete sealed VGA 85 plus collection. Then there wouldn't be as many scammers. No, no. I, think the, I think the scammers aren't to blame for having fake games out yeah. there. Collectors <laughs> aren't to blame um, because the thing is, is the. Cl- how do you blame the people that want it versus the scammers? When I mean,
1: you, okay, so if, if you're looking at like fake NES games, uh, that would be the scammer, not the collector. And what tends to d- determine what games get counterfeited the most, when you look at modern things, it's Pokemon. It's it, it's stuff that's wildly popular that can be, you know, uh, that, 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 that they can easily deceive people with. It has nothing to do with collecting. Um, I'm usually not a huge fan of collecting to collect and mass consumption. We've discussed my issues with that, but uh, no, it's not the collector's fault. That's ridiculous. That's blaming the victim. Yeah, yeah That's dumb.
0: I, I don't like stuff like that. Um, this is at WB Stillwell. Do you guys think virtual reality will succeed or will it fall by the wayside like motion controls? Oh,
1: I did want to talk about that one. Um, I don't think virtual reality is a gimmick. I think it's a matter of when it gets to the level that it's considered decent enough i mean you look at motion controls right um and you know something like the connect this is all kind of like in, in 3d on a 3ds this is all kind of vr for tots you know like it, it's a way of getting you to interact or see things differently yeah. on a game than you normally would because what people really want or what, what they want to eventually sell you is a truly immersive experience. Sure. And that will come eventually, and when that does, I think that's going to be just like television. You know, it's just, going to be, it's yeah. just going to be a new form of entertainment. Now, will there still be a spot for games on a screen? Absolutely, and I think I'd probably stay there. But I don't necessarily think it's going to be a gimmick. I think that will... When virtual reality actually hits as a
0: marketable thing, I, I think it's going to be here to stay. I'm on the fence. It obviously... Twenty years ago 93, 94, 95 when you'd see it in the malls you see those virtual reality stores the technology wasn't there yet right. visually To now that you have like what the Oculus Rift and you have other stuff trying to have the control and they seem to be working I don't know all on the fence part of me thinks that yeah it's going to be cool Part of me thinks that gamers want to get a controller and quickly play, and not strap on fucking gear, you know, like to play. Well,
1: that's, that's and, kind of And then, and then too.
0: what are the side effects of having this stuff strapped? To you take it off after a couple of hours. Do you gonna have vertigo or something? Like, how? Like, what's that effect gonna be long term or short term? Like, to me, I don't know. I think it, it. It may. So, part of me says it could be cool. To look around in a shooter, part of me thinks that's going to be a big hassle and there could be some side effects that people are not going to want to deal with. Like, like the Virtual Boy, you can't play for 10 minutes sure. without getting a headache.
1: Yeah, I don't know what know. the technology is that I require, but I'm not even thinking of like the current headsets. I'm thinking of, you know, in the future, I, obviously not the but right, holodeck. holodeck, but, but <laughs> like, like, like at some point, you know, there will be an immersive form of entertainment that does kind of take over the older form. Um, And I don't think that's going to be a gimmick. That'll be here to stay. Headsets and all this crazy talk,
0: yeah, that might pass. Um, At Gomer21XX, do either of you partake in alcohol? And if you do, what is your favorite alcoholic drink?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can't even start without sounding like a lush. Um, I was a bartender for five years. I can make a lot of really good drinks. Um, I like bourbons. I like good beer. I like absinthe. Um, I like martinis. I like martinis and manhattans, beer. I don't like a lot of manhattans. Coffee.
0: My grandfather drank manhattans. well. Wow.
1: and I can make a manhattan. That's, a, that's
0: like a, a a dead drink that no one no drinks. on the on
1: the on the east coast people drink them all the time. You can't you sure? find a person. Yes, you can't find a person out here to make a manhattan. I, I, don't, I remember girls even ordering that. Or get, it's always martinis. Um, but martinis and manhattans. I like. I like my 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 mixed drinks simple. Um, not a lot of sweet and fruity stuff. And I love really good beer. Uh, for the most part, if I I can drink
0: some loggers, I'm not like Stella Artois. Pat like skinny martinis or skinny margaritas. I don't actually. I like regular uh, margaritas <laughs> okay. or, or, or anything like you know without not the fruity kind, the regular kind. Yes. Um, tequila, Cointreau, and lime juice. Done. Yeah. Exactly. Or I just usually buy the mix in the store, mix it with tequila. That's weird. It, it, it just gets the job done quickly. You know what I mean? That's what I do. <laughs> okay. or, uh, or or vodka based drinks. I like I like clear clear alcohols that are smooth, and they don't give me hangovers at all. If I I don't usually get drunk. I I get drunk like once a year, and if I do, they don't give me hangovers. The only thing that makes me feel like shit is um, wine. I love because wine. all the impurities in it. Even if I drink like two glasses of wine, I'll feel like shit the next day. Even if I was never drunk, it's just that's my body doesn't like that thing. I'm not a big wine fan. It's just like. Eh. And beer, I can't... It's funny, I'm out with Frank and, and we're, we're, he's, he's having a beer or two and we have like nostrils, for, ex- for example. He's like, "Yeah, why don't you want to get a beer to sit on top of that. For me, it's like, that would be the worst thing I could possibly do. To him, That's like the, the top off to the food is having another beer. Nah, for me, I, just... I can't do that. I, to me, it fills up my tummy too much to have a beer while I'm eating. I usually don't mix... I don't like mixing beer with... with uh, if I'm going to have a beer, it's usually before I eat. That's just me. I don't like usually having a, like a burger and beer. I usually don't do that. That's just not me. But Whatever. Uh, this is from Ed Helen. Hey Helen, I care about my desert. Howdy. Is there anything you're looking forward to this upcoming year? Whether it be games, movies, conventions, etc. There's lots of movies. Uh, Captain America, I'm excited about. I love Captain America. The new Spider-Man movie. Spidey and Captain, my favorite guys. You know, all uh, conventions. Uh, SGC is going to be fun. Uh, probably going to go to Combravo, uh, Retro Palooza in September. We have a certain wedding that I might, might be invited to. Yes. In, in October, uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo in October as well. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, I think that's it for now. I'm probably missing one. Maybe CGE Classic Gaming Expo in Vegas. Um, Yeah. And I'm going back home to Jersey. I'm uh,
1: I'm definitely looking forward to getting married. I uh, was looking forward to the reveal and the launch of Roland's new um, synthesizer line. I've got two of those pieces on the way. I'll see how those are. Um, And I'm looking forward to... uh, Well, really... (laughs) Comic Con again. I'm, I'm oh like, yeah, Comic Con. That's going forward to Comic Con. I, I never get yeah, sick of Comic Con, and uh, I always damage with my inmate, Yeah, I don't know that I'll have a ton of, as much money to spend at Comic Con this year as I usually do, but Comic Con is something that I have yet to burn out on. I hear people whine and bitch and moan with their passes around their neck that they're getting tired of it. Well, it's like, well, why are you paying for it? I hate that people
0: are bitching about the the ticket process where they made it the most fair it's ever been. Right in years, uh, in years. So so basically, Comic Con, real quick. It used to be. Website seven AM Pacific time. That Saturday, you gotta get online, keep clicking refresh and get in. And being that maybe because I'm closer to the servers on the West Coast, that's how I usually got my tickets. Uh but people always complain, oh I timed out, I couldn't get in, I thought I was in the in the waiting room and I and I wasn't. Uh you know, so they change it to, okay, that's bullshit. You have two hours just to get into the waiting room, then you're randomly assigned the number. It's the it's the most fair system you can possibly get, because then server errors a lot of shit's eliminated. People were still bitching because they didn't get to the like well you should reward the people that are there for no that- what is this getting tickets to an ACDC con- concert in 86 80- yeah it's like what else do you want people were bitching my I love seeing them bitch I got three out of four tickets so I didn't even get my fourth ticket uh, I don't have a fr- I don't have a Friday ticket now but um, I'm not bitching I'll probably get a Friday ticket you know all right. pick this one is- a couple more uh, this if you is from- keep saying that two more there's actually only two more okay uh, this is from at Cron Nintendo. Who is the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time? It's and Tunk Man, obviously. No, well, who do you think? Fucking Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> well, that's because he to always say that and Tunk Man. Yeah, I greatest. know. Um, um, who did I like as Intercontinental Champion? I love the Warrior's white belt. I always remember that white belt. Yeah, they just was... and they brought it back the past year when Cody Rhodes won it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they brought back the white old school belt. That's cool. Yeah, that was always nice to me. Still, so the IC belt means almost nothing. The U.S. the U.S. belt means less than nothing since it hasn't been defended. No, back
1: by... then the IC belt meant a lot. It was, that was a... it was the launching point to your career. Now it means nothing. Yeah, now it means nothing. The,
0: the, the thing Casale... you can
1: you can you can have an IC run and lose it and yeah. not go anywhere.
0: Now they give the IC belts to the guys that give them that extra boost starting up. They, uh, what's his name has it? Biggie Langston has it. Who's only been in the Federation for like a year and a half at most, and he's he's talented. He's a big he's a big body like heavy lifter, but he actually can move around the ring. But they gave it to him and it doesn't mean a damn thing. Sure. He doesn't even have a WrestleMania. He doesn't even have a feud. It's not a WrestleMania match. How disgusting is that for the IC belt? When needs to be like just as big a match almost. Okay. And finally, this is from aswazi 4. What are your favorite wrestling matches? Maybe Madden won't search himself this time. Let's talk about that real quick. What happened with Mark Madden uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I forgot about that. So I forget how exactly it happened where Mark Madden, who it was, uh, used to be, he's a talk show host now. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's got a, probably a decent following. Not the biggest talk show, but he used to be a color commentator during the dying years of the Russo era of WCW, like 99 rough, and 2000. Rough fucking stuff. Really bad. And he was... He was... I remember him being loud and obnoxious, wearing just loud shirts. It was after Bobby the Brain Heenan left because he fucking hated WCW after a couple years. And so, I forget how someone brought up Mark Madden. It was in one... He he responded to you. Yeah,
1: we were just talking on Twitter, and he responded to whoever was... He didn't respond to me. He responded to whoever asked me
0: the question. He brought up something about Mark Madden being just... Annoying or something. Annoying and, or something.
1: And, and so Mark Madden actually responds and he responds,
0: but it was a, it was a subtweet because he didn't go like at Mark Madden. It was just he searched for his name, name, yeah, to show up, and he responded saying, "Well, I got a big radio show with all these viewers." And I responded, "When I say oh, 50, he says like I have fifty thousand subscribers," and I responded, "Ian, remind me when I get to that many number of subscribers. I'm not going to be searching for myself on Twitter." Yeah, it was just so pathetic and just like. Crying out for attention and any to respond to any sort of criticism. I know it's just like, sh- like shut the fuck up. Why you have so many followers? You have a national radio show, or at least, or at least regional. Why are you responding to someone talking about you about one thing on Twitter? Like, why are you searching for yourself? anyways? To answer your question. <laughs>
1: Uh, you know, it's gonna
0: respond to this now when it's
1: on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> it it's it would take me a long time to make up like an accurate top five, but off the top of my head, two of my favorite matches. One I've already mentioned here a million times is Steamboat Savage. The other one, though, that is a little lesser known and is really really good. Everyone should watch it, and if you have the network now, you can. Is uh, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, uh, Halloween Havoc '97? It's fantastic.
0: Is that the same Halloween Havoc as? Malenko Jericho? No, that's Gato, Gato
1: Jericho. Gato Jericho was on that. that was match. that 98 then? Was I think Because
0: so, yeah. that's supposedly Jericho said the biggest pop he ever heard ever was Dave Malenko when he removed, removed the mask as the mystery opponent. And if you go on YouTube, oh, I remember that. If you yeah, go on YouTube, yeah, yeah, yeah. the crowd is going ballistic. Yeah. It's, but yeah.
1: No, really, watch Mysterio uh, Guerrero. It was like the second or third match on a really big card, but it's it's
0: it's amazing. God, I missed the your cards. Yeah, uh, WCW. My favorite matches, real quick. Oh, man. I I remember watching the first class of the champions as a kid, and I remember the Sting-Rick the Sting, um, Ric Flair match. It was like the 45-minute draw match, I think it was, or half-hour draw, and it ended with... And this is what I, I think I mentioned to you. This is like early 90s when it what was that class of the champions, probably 92, something like that, 91, or 90, before he went to WWF. And this is when they were pushing Sting as the top star. And it is cemented. I think it was the first class of the champions. Which was like a TBS show that was on like a few times a year, I think. Yeah. Kind of like almost pay per view quality, um, and um, I remember watching it and just Flair was hated, obviously, and then Sting, like it went back and forth, and then obviously, even though I wasn't filming WCW, I know would the title was a big deal, and then it ended in the draw. The last twenty seconds, he had Flair and the Scorpion Deathlock, and it's like, oh, and he and he held out, he didn't tap out, and it's like, oh, it was just very dramatic. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean that's not my favorite match, but I always remember that as my first sort of, uh, really first time I kind of watched WCW and discovering kind of both Flair and, and and Sting. I think because I think that's before I watched them in WWF or maybe afterwards. But um, yeah, that's that to me just stands out as a good match. I'll, I'll, I'll probably go back and watch that. They don't have Clash of the Champions on the WWE Network. I don't think they will probably get it eventually. Yeah. Um, other than that, how about uh, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold WrestleMania 13? Yeah. That's a that's probably a bigger one, right? Double turn. It's hard to pull off. You know, they had a great rivalry, uh, mm-hmm. Stone Cold. He always gave Bret Hart props for... I and mean, he elevated, you know, Austin so much. Hart just by working with him and everything. Goldberg, DDP. I went back and watched that again, like, last month. I was always talking about that. That's a really good match. A favorite? It's up there just because... It's totally choreographed? Totally choreographed. Yeah. But it works because it plays to the strengths of both. How, yeah, they're it, like, the wrecking bar of, ball of Goldberg versus, like, the wily kind of veteran of DDP trying to survive. I admittedly haven't seen it in
1: a while. I just remember, I just remember that DDP carried Goldberg to a pretty good match and that I remember the spot that I called, like, Days before watching it occurred, I was like, he's gonna slip out of this jackhammer yeah, into diamond the cut- diamond cutter. And when he did that,
0: the crowd went nuts. Yeah,
1: and and I mean, you know, maybe going back, it's not the best, it's not know, the best, but at the time, it was, it was, you... especially WCW at the time, it was probably a well, it... that was Halloween Havoc 98. Yeah, it was probably, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was probably the best, one of the better worked matches you saw Goldberg in. Let's put it that It was that face way.
0: versus face, which WCW, I think, at the time, did not really do that much of for, nope. for, the, for the title. And yeah, it was just good. It was obviously a place a placeholder for him. both faces afterwards too. They they oh, ended yeah. it without a turn. Yeah, it was just like he was the next in line for the title. GDP yeah. I think he had, had been US champ. Yeah. I think against Raven he had the whole Raven thing against the fly. Yeah, I don't I think, think. he had
1: held it for quite some time, but um, yeah. But he, no, he was, he, 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 he was
0: that that kind of elevated GDP. He got the title the next year. He was like three-time champion I think or two-time uh world champ. DDP. Uh, I love G D P One of my favorite wrestlers ever. Same. No, it was a really fun... Uh, the funny story about that match is that DDP tells that two two funny things about the match, if you go back and watch it. The first time uh, Goldberg tries to spear G D P he comes out at him full speed. The thing about Goldberg is that he ended Bret Hart's career because he's he was a little bit too into it in the ring. Right. He was a little bit reckless. He was still sort of green. He'd only been wrestling for two years. Yeah. At this point. And so when he goes to, when he goes to spear... DDP who gets out of the way, he's coming at him such so full speed that DDP said later in the video if he would have hit me, he could not have killed me because he was not—he was really coming in. And when you watch it, he—I mean—barely gets out of the way. Doesn't like,
1: he also? Doesn't doesn't Goldberg also end up knocking himself yes, out? Yes, that's tea? the thing.
0: Yeah, when he actually spears uh, DDP, he does it so much that he he knocks himself out. Yeah. And it probably hurt DDP too from how hard it was hit. So much so that um, when they did the spot, DDP was still out on his feet when they did the spot. He said he reversed the jackhammer to the diamond cutter. That Goldberg kicks out just at two and not two and three quarters. And DDP said he was pissed. He went to Goldberg at the night and then said, "What the hell? Like, why did you kick out only at like right when it's two? Why didn't you wait till two and a, like two and a half?" The crowd went nuts. He said, "I." Goldberg said, "I didn't even know what was going on then." So right. there was a possibility he might not even kick that. It was pure instinct, you know. <laughs> so if you've imagined that. That would have been great. So anyway, um, that's what's going on for this CU podcast. Two hours of fun times for everyone, huh? I'm a dot. On the freaking dot, I know people hate our wrestling chat. I love it. Some people love it. And we have an hour and a half of non-wrestling talk. So what's what's the, what's the difference, Actually, right? So we
1: probably did like an hour and 45 of non-wrestling so talk. So there you we, go. We
0: really kept it minimal this week for you. One thing that we'll, that we'll never get rid of, people bitching about us talking about wrestling, you know, people, some people love it, and people bitching about me getting a haircut. I got a haircut last week. People this, bit- is it, this is it shorter now. People bitching about
1: hoods, uh,
0: people bitching you about... You've been hoodless. Yeah,
1: well, it's getting warmer people here's the thing yeah i wear a lot of hoodies but people
0: are under this assumption that i I never take them off i spend almost an entire summer without wearing a hoodie i just think it's interesting that people that that when they see you online they think that they are not entitled to tell you how to look but if you're not if you're not fitting what you're supposed to look like like in their head they get upset yeah so people are upset i don't have short hair i'm not gonna have short hair anymore like i did with my sort of like jersey punkish hair if you can call it that from 2008 to 2010. That's not going to happen again. I brought it back for the 5th anniversary video. because, uh, As a, you know, homage to that. You know, that's not going to happen. I just feel better with hair like this. Sorry. It makes it you look, look slimy. Makes you look what? Makes you look slimy.
1: This one makes you look slimy? No, when you have short hair. When you have yeah, a short
0: I don't look good with short hair. I look, I look younger, I think, but it doesn't fit in. So, anyway. Good night. I'm not getting a haircut. <laughs> we love you. For Ian Ferguson, Lance Pat Country. this was the CU Podcast. Good night, everybody.